Why has the data not been shared? No, they didn't isolate the virus. That's the issue. Uh, and we know that um, the, three, the two doses of the vaccine offer very limited protection, if any. The two doses of the vaccine offer very limited protection, if any. So we did believe at that time that vaccines can prevent also transmission. And the data was also in that sense. So what we believe is that, you know, vaccines can prevent transmission perhaps shortly after administered, but not over a long period of time. And therefore, yes, we were surprised to discover at the end of the day that, no, the vaccines are not protecting us. They are not causing what we call sterilizing immunity. They're trying to train the body's immune system to target the right part of the virus because getting it wrong can be dangerous. We know that historically with coronaviruses that if you do vaccinate with the wrong kind of vaccine, for instance in domestic cats who have a similar viral infection, that you can make the disease more severe. There's another element to safety and that is if you vaccinate someone and they make an antibody response, and then they get exposed and infected, does the response that you induce actually enhance the infection and make it worse? And the only way you'll know that is if you do an extended study, not in a normal volunteer who has no risk of infection, but in people who are out there in a risk situation. This would not be the first time if it happened, that a vaccine that looked good in initial safety actually made people worse. On your COVID-19 vaccine, you're going to want to listen to this. The Red Cross says anyone who has received their COVID-19 vaccine cannot donate convalescent plasma to help other COVID-19 patients in hospitals. That plasma is made up of antibodies from people who have recovered from the virus, but the vaccine wipes out those antibodies, making the convalescent plasma ineffective in treating other COVID-19 patients. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to pack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. What the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical our digital and our biological identities. The difference of this fourth uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you. If you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example, it's you who exactly. are changed. Yeah. And of yeah. course, this has a big impact on yeah. your identity. Yeah. It is important to use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity. So people assume uh, we are just going back uh, to the good old world which we had um, and everything will be normal again in how we are used to normal in the old fashion. This is, uh, let's say, fiction. It will not happen. Um, the the uh, cut which we have now um, is much too strong uh, in order not to leave traces. There comes a time when you do have to give up what you consider your individual right of making your own.
Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. January 21st, 2022, and we will get there eventually. Remember that eventually. Thank you for joining me today. I wanted to go through just a few of the most important kind of recent openings that we've had and just kind of... In a, in a row and just take a minute to realize how incredible it is. The, these are all statements coming from Fauci, coming from Israeli vaccine chief, coming from experts working on the vaccines. And I mean, everything they just discussed is easily verifiable. And it's all stuff that we've been telling you from the beginning. And it's all stuff that we're watching happen right now. Antibody dependent enhancement and on and on that the vaccines don't work, that they're not giving you the protection that they're supposed to. It's just absurd. I mean, the vaccine, Israeli vaccine chief is the one himself telling you that they don't give you protection. They don't give you sterilizing immunity. Now, they're going to keep trying to play this game where you go, but the third one does it while ignoring the fact that they already have research that shows that it falls off a cliff in two months, just like the first ones did, which is why they don't work now. Or add, in addition to a lot of other things we could add, but it's a game of manipulation. We're going to show you today in a bunch of different ways. The mainstream media almost seems to have lost the plot in regard to even what the government is telling them they should be saying. I almost feel like they've lost control of the narrative in regard to how the mainstream's fear has gotten out of control to where they're they're towing lines that aren't even in existence anymore. They're making arguments that have already been wildly shown to be false, even by the CDC, because I don't even think that they are aware of that. Like, do you think that the mainstream media is tapped into the CDC website like we are? No, they're waiting to be told what to say. So the point is that they're towing lines. They're saying things that they're right now saying aren't real anymore. Masks. And I mean, you'll see as we go through the show today, it's pretty ridiculous. And as always, stay tuned till the end because there's a lot to get into. We have a lot to talk about today. I'm going to start with some foreign policy information, but then we're going to start off talking about a couple of points that we briefly touched on in the opening with the clips, a little bit of transmission points and how it's still being stated by some very big influencers that this stops transmission or it that's what it's supposed to do. And that's what it still does. Just not as good as before. That's not even remotely true. It wasn't true on Delta. And we'll show you that it wasn't true on, I mean, it's never been true. And we'll show you that too. We've been saying that from the beginning, but people are just beginning to understand that it might not work exactly like they said, sort of how we've been screaming masks don't work. And the data shows you that now they're saying cloth masks don't work. The rest do though. And it's like, they're, they're being brought into this. It's very frustrating. We've been here telling you, if you just had the time to look at the data, think for yourself. We're also going to talk about the booster, the booster, and how they're coming around just like every other part of this conversation is saying, gee, I think we need to change the definition of fully vaccinated. <laughs> Whoop, who saw that coming? It's pretty sad to see how we're over here screaming, that's what's going to happen, or just kind of calmly talking about it. They're going to go there. They're going to make that fully vaccinated. How long have we been saying that? And how long have we been censored as fake news for saying exactly that? And now they're, oh, maybe we should do this. So we just had this random thought today. Maybe we should increase the definition to three shots, four shots. Israel's already there. Israel's already saying the four shot doesn't work. Meanwhile, they're doing it anyway. And we're over here in the US going third shot and fourth shot as we're finding out in real time that it doesn't have the effect. And we're going to get into the data that backs that up from five different locations, all showing you. And the UK one's the important one today because they keep screaming at you that the third shot's the one that does it. Even though, like I said a moment ago, the data shows that it falls off right away. So even if it does work 95%, two months later, it's gone. Natural immunity, the rest of your life, according to their own science. But what's interesting is that the UK data shows you that the booster, they've included the booster shot now in the data. Well, guess what? The booster's worse than all of them. So how does that make sense? Now, even if you want to 
argue, and there's a, I, I, and I make this car argument every time, and I don't, I think a lot of the audience tends to miss this that I'm engaging in the per 100,000 as well as the total and majority. And I show you both every time, both UK, Scotland. Scotland's the one that where it's all on the side of the vaccinated, the per 100 risk, the majority of the numbers, hospitalizations, deaths, cases, all of it. But we're going to get into the booster specifically and show you how it doesn't add up, not even remotely to what the argument is. And then, of course, we're going to finish off with some technocracy information that I know you guys will want to hear. But starting with foreign policy. This is something I had to touch on today. By the way, Robert has some great articles coming up. One more or one or two more going up tomorrow, I believe. And actually an article going up tomorrow from a new writer, in fact. But on top of that, that there's just some great work coming up from Robert, who's keeping up on a lot of this foreign policy. One of which I'll show you in a moment. But this is what we're seeing here. This is this is Biden. I'm not even going to play the clip for you, but Biden says a nuclear power like Russia invading another country, quote, hasn't happened since World War Two. That's this isn't the Babylon Bee. He actually said that Russia invaded Ukraine in 2014 while Biden was vice president. On top of that. Oh, and the, the, excuse me, I'm reading what they're saying there. I, this is not I don't agree with that. My point is that what we're talking about is clearly, as I pointed out down here. Let's see if Biden can guess whose invasions this incomplete list is outlining. Spoiler alert, it's not Russia. <laughs> yeah, and and who is a nuclear power? Oh, yeah, that's right, the United States. And have they invaded countries since World War II? Yeah, they really have. So what exactly, I mean, how stupid is that? Now, by the way, I, I was just kind of reading this. That, that's not, as I've made very clear in many points before, I don't agree with the way that they're framing this. Ukraine in and of itself has been completely overtaken by the United States. I mean, it is a completely co-opted place, just like Bolivia, just like all the places they've tried to do the same thing, Syria and everywhere else. This is a regime change effort. That's why there's a overtly white supremacist, white nationalist government there that they pretend are on their side, are on their side while they pretend they're fighting the same thing in your country. It's just kind of silly. But think about how dumb it is for him to tell you that no nuclear power has invaded another country since World War II. I mean, are you are you pretending the U.S. government isn't a nuclear power or are you pretending they haven't invaded a country? I mean, nobody who has two brain cells to rub together would argue either of those things. But here we are because they're just recreating reality right in front of you because narrative wins today, apparently, even though they're very clearly not aware of how much they're failing in that regard. But on the note, actually, I should have started with this since that discusses Ukraine. But on this point in general, I wanted to make sure we also see that the U.S. has now backed offensive action in in Yemen. Right? This is despite Biden running on the idea that he would end the Yemen war, saying that that was everything that Trump couldn't do and that it's the last thing we should be involved in. We're not going to back up any offensive actions, except they were arguing that everything the Saudis did was defensive. So they were still doing it anyway, but now they just go, well, never mind. <laughs> we don't care anymore about what we promised and didn't do. Now we're going to openly back these actions because of what just happened over there, which is always how this goes. We're going to promise this and promise that and promise the world. And oh, that thing happened over there. Everything's off the table. Now we're going back in because they did that thing that we can't prove and probably didn't do it all that we made up and blah, blah, blah. Syria, Afghanistan, you just add up the narratives, Iraq, Iraq, but back on offensive action. So Biden is now backing Saudi attacks on Yemen because of the attacks on the UAE from the Houthis. But by the way, we have to understand this is a country that is openly being attacked by Saudi Arabia, by the United Arab Emirates. But this is just like Palestine and everything else. When they attack back, that becomes the focal point. Now, the U.S. government is right back in the mix of the Yemen war. They never were out of it. That's the point. It's all narrative and illusion and shell games. But the point is now they just pushed back in and are killing people. 
murdering oh, civilians. I mean, this is a densely civilian, oh, not densely, that's thinking Palestine, but this is a civilian populated area that is starving to death because of Saudi and U.S. policy. And here they are openly attacking this area and killing civilians, which happens almost every time, intentionally so, which we've made clear over and over and over. But that's why I just had that out of order. We also see this as of today. Saudi-led airstrikes kill scores at prison in Yemen, officials say. The strike, which also knocked out the internet, right? So imagine this was happening in a different situation, right? Where it was Iran that was attacking Israel and they bombed a prison full of people that couldn't do anything about it and killed a bunch of people that weren't involved in anything and killed a lot of civilians around the outside of that and then also knocked out the internet in the middle of the biggest pandemic in a century. Oh my God, you could almost hear the mainstream media losing their minds. But of course, when it happens in Yemen, who cares? Because Yemen, bad guy. Or actually, Yemen doesn't exist in the context of our conversation as we starve them to death because of narrative. The government, I mean, not us or you, because we don't agree with this, and no American really does, to be quite honest, because we're lying about what's happening there. Anyway, this is what your government's doing in the midst of what they tell you is the biggest pandemic in a century. Attack people with no resources. Now, again, invading other countries, which is the U.S. government's forte under the guise of freedom and liberation as they destroy everything. Well, here's an interesting point. We have already talked about the helicopters and all the military equipment that was left in Afghanistan, right? And all was this big, weird discussion. You're confused about why the, all the billions of dollars of resources. Well, obviously, that people were confused by that. And I, I, of course, never thought that it was like, oops, we're just going to leave it there because we're clumsy. Some of that does happen. Like Iraq, there was a, a big level of just... A malfeasance. But I don't believe that, especially when the guard, when seeing the coordination between the Taliban and the U.S. government and things that have happened going forward, that of course we see this. The U.S. clears the way for transferring ex-Afghan MI-17 helicopters to Ukraine. It's almost like it was all planned, or at the very least made, you know, we'll leave them there until we're going to use them next, because they never left Afghanistan. Guys, it's all an illusion and they would never give up one of the most important pieces in their supply chain in regard to how they're operating in the Middle East. It's just frustrating to see how we're all played. Now, this is just shifting over to Russia, bad guy, and Ukraine, and guess who's actually doing this? In regard to making all this happen, well, don't forget, oh, this was the part, I had these all out of order, Canada deploys special forces to the Ukraine amid rising tensions with Russia. We already talked about this, but realize we're talking about Western forces being deployed like basically to the border of Russia and pretending like that's acceptable? Are we really going to pretend that the U.S. government would be okay if Russia deployed to to Cuba, which is not even remotely, which is, I mean, reasonably similar, but Ukraine is closer. The idea being that why is one okay and not the other? Because, well, U.S. good guy, Russia, bad guy, because we're in kindergarten, right? So if you're deploying forces to the border and Russia's saying, look, you... We're going to do something if you keep doing this and pretending like we're doing what you say. Like, it's it's a it's a misrepresented situation. Not to pretend that Russia isn't doing... I mean, the bottom line is how the U.S. is pretending it has any right to be doing what it's doing over there in regard to Russian... What's the best way to put it? Sphere of influence, right? Which is what they're pretending isn't happening, except when it pertains to the United States. In any case, you can see how this is being driven into existence. And of course, Biden predicts Russia will invade Ukraine. <laughs> You know, who, who's driving this right now exactly and based on what, right? My guess, Biden says, well, gee, I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of faith in Biden's guessing. Biden said Putin's calculations are launching an attack. That My guess is he'll move in. 
May, it could. It, I mean, well, even if that does happen exactly like that, shouldn't we ask whether or not it's because of a U.S. presence and Canadian presence along the Russian border? Like that wouldn't have any kind of a, a factor. It's just, it's just so frustrating how willfully dishonest our media in the main corporate media are today. We all know that. Even people that support your side, if you're lost in the two party paradigm, you still know that. You just like the way they lie for you. It's just so frustrating misrepresenting things for the government. In any case, before we get back into the rest of the larger foreign policy agenda, excuse me, foreign policy agenda, which is COVID-19, the great reset, and how this is all being applied to control your life. There was an outstanding interview, which by the way, was already censored by YouTube, which is just ridiculous because this was a round table between Stephanie, Stephanie Seneff, Lee researcher at MIT and Danny Rancourt, PhD, both of which are PhDs. Danny Rancourt is a researcher for the Ontario Civil Liberties Association, right? These people are highly credentialed, much, much, much more educated and highly credentialed, much more highly credentialed than anybody working at YouTube, which was making these decisions, but who cares? But I, I really hope you'll watch this because there were some really powerful things that were discussed. It was a great round table too. It, I felt like all the three of us had this great back and forth dynamic about bringing things to the table in different perspectives. And But, but Sneff has been discussing a lot of very interesting things around glyphosate. As you know, we've been talking about long before COVID and how, I mean, I even discussed that in the beginning when Biden pushed out this glyphosate thing early on and, the, and it was, I brought up the study again. In fact, it was Stephanie Sneff's study from before this that said very clearly glyphosate works with the body to increase your set, your potential for illness. <laughs> and here we are. It's almost like it was all this master, you know, you can say that all the time. People will dismiss that because they don't like to pretend it's some massive organized effort. Could be, maybe not. Either way, the spike protein with the mRNA, with the glyphosate, it's, it's a perfect storm for attacking the different proteins in your body, creating a weakness that's causing you to be much more ill in general. I mean, and the, guy, the crazy part about this is this is not something that can even be disputed. I mean, this is basic research from before all of this around glyphosate, around mRNA, around spike proteins before this, or specifically spike protein would be the one thing you can include in a different context. But mRNA, more importantly, before all this has been studied to show you that there are some severe problems that they are not telling you about. In fact, one of the main things we just discussed was a clip about uh, these. I was the rumble video we played from uh, with Dr. Pilevsky and different doctors telling you that there's research from before showing you. 30 years into this, after mRNA has been used, there's this weird thing where people come back to the situation. It's almost like a delayed antibody-dependent enhancement. It's just unreal. They don't want you knowing this stuff. And what's even crazier is this is where we get into the kind of manipulations around the current narrative. I mean, this is from the Wall Street Journal. This is from two days ago. Do you know how long we've been arguing this? For those in the podcast, prior COVID-19 infection not vaccine, but infection, offered better protection than vaccination during Delta. It's just, it's almost, it's almost, I mean, I, don't, I can't even, I'm like losing, the, there's, aren't words powerful enough for how outrageous this is? You know, I mean, we all see that we would, moments ago, we were being told that it's only Omicron, right? It's, that's the only thing that, it's, everything changed because of Omicron. And and even then they're arguing, but but vaccination is still better in Omicron. This is going back before that, and it's showing you that even then with Delta, which they tell you is the the one that was the problem one, right? That you getting sick without anything was better. I mean, I could say that right now on Twitter, and we'd be censored as fake news. I mean, these videos we just put up yesterday are being censored for the same reason. But here's the Wall Street Journal. 
CDC says research from California and New York before Omicron spread showed unvaccinated people without previous infection faced greatest risk. How does that even make sense together? Right? I mean, it's just so confusing to me. The bottom line is, as you know by now, as they're trying, this is the thing we were making, the argument we were making with the other points. They were trying to like release valve out little bits of truth. So you kind of think like it's, but they're still keeping everything going forward. Omicron spread showed that unvaccinated people with previous infection face the greatest risk. But how does that align with the idea that your infection offered better protection? See what I mean? Like this doesn't make, it's irrational. They're contradictory. But the scientific research backs up what this is saying right here. Now, here is another interesting point, and I'll, and I'll briefly not discuss them as I've done it way too many times, but show you the research, just so they're included, that shows you that there's the highest regarded credit, uh, platforms out there are telling you that natural immunity is better. Every way always has been. They just don't want you to know that. Here is a Johns Hopkins student who was vaccinated, contracted COVID-19 twice, so they're told, and received medical exemption for booster based on hospitalization history, has provided them with proof that the university has then rejected that doctor's exemption. The university rejecting the doctor's exemption. That's politics trumping science and intends to expel him if he doesn't get a booster shot, which just keep this in your mind as we go through and very, very, very clearly show why the booster, whether third, fourth, or whatever we're talking about, has no difference. There's no benefit. It drops off after a couple of months, like every other part of it. It's nothing new. On top of that, listen to the things we just played in the beginning. This is still a shot that's giving you things that are not relevant to what's happening today. It's a shot based on the original strain. That's still the case. So why are we pretending a third shot when it makes antibodies for a spike protein that's now mutated, they claim, 46 different ways from Sunday, and we're going to pretend that it makes sense? As they're telling you from that clip, They're trying to train the body's immune system to target the right part of the virus because getting it wrong can be dangerous. And he goes on to tell you very clearly that if you make it for the wrong thing, then it's going to hurt you or it can. And then we have Fauci saying that that's not the first time that's happened. So isn't it just absurd that this is this it in this university is making its own decision? And now this is the part to think about in regard to the mandate, right? That's what I keep trying to tell you. The mandate from a federal level, I, I never really thought they even expected that to go all the way. The point is they already got all these hospitals and universities and businesses on board, and they're forcing it anyway. And remember that at the end of the day, we've got, I mean, just taking media, for example, what is it now, like four or five companies that own literally every media outlet you consume, whether on paper, radio, or the media, or the, or the TV? That's scary. It's the same way everywhere else. Don't forget that. Well, just take, look up one of those little graphs that shows you how they, of course, all the people make fun of them. Oh, it's a conspiracy graph. It's not a conspiracy. It's an obvious graph that shows you how basically like six companies own everything. It's not a secret, not a joke. It's very real. They're just, they're big conglomerates, right? But then you can't make the argument that, you know, one person makes every decision. It could be. We don't know that for sure. But ultimately we know that that is an easy way that these things can control how this goes forward. So if you get the right people in the right places on the path, whether you make it a federal mandate or not, it's still happening. And that was always the point. Now, to make it one step further, this is Johns Hopkins, right? This is a group that's involved with Event 201, a group that's very, very, very aware of all the research I will show you in a second around natural immunity. So why in the world would they make this case? 
Maybe, just maybe, it's because they are aware and have always been aware about what it actually does to those who have been. So maybe they know they had natural immunity. Maybe they know they maybe don't have it anymore. On your COVID-19 vaccine, you're going to want to listen to this. The Red Cross says anyone who has received their COVID-19 vaccine cannot donate convalescent plasma to help other COVID-19 patients in hospitals. That plasma is made up of antibodies from people who have recovered from the virus, but the vaccine wipes out those antibodies, making the convalescent plasma ineffective in treating other COVID-19 patients. Yeah, I'm going to make her famous. Don't worry. We're going to keep playing that and everything else as many times as we can until this gets beat into people's minds who aren't paying attention. I know you guys watching all the time are aware of why we're doing that. It's possible that they know that, right? I mean, we have to consider that. And so now we're at a point where they're saying, well, we already know that you don't. I mean, you could, it depends on how you want to look at this. If you're looking at it from a perspective of the university, who doesn't maybe have the grander idea of where this may go and just is actually trying to keep, I mean, there are many ways you can look at this, but either way, that is counter to the science. The student provided his signed medical exemption. Isn't that supposed to be the whole point? If you get the doctor who says, yes, he's good. And that's supposed to, but so then is it real? So if, if the doctor's exemption isn't enough, then that makes it political. End of story. The university is making a political decision based on what they want and what they think. And they won't allow him they didn't agree with the doctor's conclusion. They rejected his proof of antibodies as well. He is distraught and has now chosen between his health and his future. Think about how disgusting that is. A kid who just wants to go to school. There's a, there's a very sad video we'll get into in the show later about a, a, a girl that breaks down about what's happened to her life because of what they did to her school. But here's the point I was making before. Vaccines significantly reduce transmission. Well, first, this is what Dominique Sam Samuel says, because most healthcare workers, it looks like they're going back and forth. I said, I think frontline health and care workers should be vaccinated unless they have a medical exemption, blah, blah, blah. But this says, says, why I, do you think an unvaccinated doctor should be able to care for someone's clinical? Yeah. I, see, what a dumb question. You see, just going, I, just going, going back even further. Do you think an unvaccinated doctor should be able to care for someone? Yes. Like, I mean, it's irrational to pretend that makes sense. They're not sick. Being unvaccinated does not mean you're sick. Ash, who has a following of 360,000 people, doesn't know anything about that, apparently, but doesn't care. Because she's towing the line, like so many others. Unvaccinated equals sick. This is irrational, and this is propaganda. This is social engineering, or it's brainwashing. So the person says, because most healthcare workers have higher levels of natural immunity than the general population, as various studies show. That's true. Because clearly, if you believe this is happening, they were in face-to-face -face with it the entire time. Most of them ended up getting natural immunity. Because remember, there's plenty of other research that shows, regardless of disease severity, that you get natural immunity. And it's lasting, robust, the rest of your life, just like all the rest we'll show you in a moment. Why is that relevant? Well, because you can get a very small, brief in, in uh, passing with it, barely even know you have it, which most people are having that situation because most people are at lower risk than the flu, according to their current data before Omicron, even were even lower after Omicron. So most of them didn't even realize they already had natural immunity. Then you can argue that before all of that, which we've said many times, as the JCI Insights article are, uh, has made clear, that most people before all this started already had natural immunity. That's not my opinion. That's peer-reviewed science from JCI Insight. The majority of uninfected adults showed pre-existing antibody reactivity against SARS-CoV-2. Uninfected. So there's a lot of reasons you could argue why that might happen, but the point being, most of them already had it. Then they got went through all this. Then even more had it. The vaccine doesn't prevent transmission. 
which we all know by now. I mean, it, it, unless you're living under a rock or plugging your ears and stomping your feet, it's very clear. And it never did. And we'll show you that next. And vaccinated people have similar viral loads to that of an unvaccinated person. So here's Dom- Dominique knows what she's talking about. This is not my, because I like what she's saying. That's backed up by the scientific research, right? From major outlets like the land, like Lancet, like nature, like science and science mag and Le- journal of infection and JCIS and the WHO and the NIH, all of them saying the same thing. So they're right. Here's what she says next. Vaccines significantly reduce transmission. Now, if you're trying to pretend that because they reduce the severity that they then have some effect on transmission, that's a very, that's a the fair argument, but it's not even remotely accurate in regard to how you're framing it all. Because it's completely undefined. You don't know how much it reduces the symptoms or if it even does, because I've been arguing that from the beginning. I do not see evidence of that. My opinion, but based on the data. But then if you did reduce the symptoms, to what degree does it stop it? Right? I mean, that, that it's it depending on how, I mean, it's up in the air at the very least. But the point being is on top of that statement, which is undefined and foggy as hell and can with no data, in my opinion, to really back it up. They're admitting it doesn't stop transmission. They're just saying it reduces symptoms. She's taking that to mean it reduces transmission, but that in no way is significant in any stretch of the imagination. But it says, and that's before you factor in that you are less likely to get the virus in the first place. Well, that's not true. That's, in fact, flagrantly false, especially under Omicron, which we've already shown you many times. And we'll come back to this in a minute. This is the most recent update, which shows you in almost every category, you have an obviously more incre- a dramatically, in fact, double in many cases, risk of getting the infection. And that's three, understand. That is three. And we'll, show, we'll get into this in a minute. They updated this to three. So right now, you're, what you're looking at the three, the, the, the booster doses per 100,000 risk, and it's double people that have had none. And that's cases. We'll come back to it, though. We're going to go through this in a minute. It says, we ask healthcare workers to wear gloves, wash hands, and wear masks in the name of infection control. That's fake. That's not true. That's never been the case. And you can easily look this up before COVID. As plenty of doctors have admitted to, the only reason they wore them before was in regard to stopping a blood or spit from from falling, from, you know, basically dropping into the wound while you're operating. And in fact, as we just discussed, one of the only actual uh, uh, real world studies around the mask, and I think this was in the 1900s, very clearly found, oh, it's 1980s, in fact, I remember that. They removed masks and did the study. And by the way, they wouldn't have done that if it was this complete gospel idea back then. They would just remove them and see if we get them sick. No, they didn't know, and that's why they did that. And they removed the masks, and guess what? There was a decrease in infection. And this was a large peer-reviewed study. We've already talked about that a long time ago. So that's fake, <laughs> just so we're clear on that. Despite their gospel and saying the things, that's why she says this, because she's just towing the line. It's what they do. Because they've been taught education and, and intelligence is blindly re- repeating what you've decided is intelligent. What people have told you is what smart people say. Vaccines are a part of that. I, that's never been the case, but thank you for making, just stating that, right? This is how this ob- obnoxious reality continues. But this is in this together, pointing out what we pointed out down here. Nope, wrong, right? So here's the Israeli vaccine chief openly saying the opposite of what she's arguing is an absolute fact. How much you want to bet that she doesn't change what she's saying anyway? So we did believe at that time that vaccines can prevent also transmission. And the data was also in that sense. So what we believe is that, you know, vaccines can prevent transmission perhaps shortly after administered, but not over a long period of time. And therefore, yes, we were surprised to discover 
at the end of the day that no, the vaccines are not protecting us, they are not causing what we call sterilizing immunity. Pretty damn clear. That, and that's that's in general, understand. That's not just, um, this is where we are. And the data backs that up. And I just take a quick dance back in history here, you know, all the way back to October 2020. Whew, oh, a whole other world. This is what we've already read to you. And, and it's Peter Doshi. You, you guys know him well by now since you watch this show or since you, you know, since he's gotten a lot more attention after the very important Brooke Jackson discussion from, and, and you can reference our interview with Brooke Jackson on the, on the last American Vagabond. She's the whistleblower from Ventavia that exposed the completely, in my opinion, broken nature of the Pfizer studies where they were just flying, you know, flying by the seat of their pants, making up numbers, falsifying data. You know, we're supposed to pretend that makes sense. And this is a group, by the way, that's been caught spending out over $10 billion in fines for doing exactly that 70 plus times in the past. But yeah, that's all fake news today. But this is the reality about where this was really going. And as the title says, will COVID vaccines save lives? Current trials aren't designed to tell us. And you remember this. This is the same all the way back then. It hasn't changed because it's the same data. So it's amazing we can go from then pretending that, whoa, it's going to stop transmission to now pretending like it was never supposed to do that, even though I could play that clip for you again and show Bill Gates and, you know, Matt, Rachel Madcow and all of them saying, oh, yeah, they were meant to stop transmission. Stops in your body and it goes nowhere else. They were just parroting what they were told. We were reading the actual research and the actual trials and showing you they were never meant to. That's how, that's how ignorant people like, they, like, the, like the Rachel Mad Cows are. They're out there completely parroting what they think they're saying. Well, you know, they're, but think about how crazy it is that even to this point, they're still being regarded as the ones, the smart ones, the, the mainstream. It's just so pathetic. Let's look at it again. This is senior editor of the British Medical Journal, and he's talking about Peter Hotez. The one we've talked about many times with his little bow tie and his white shirt, no matter what he's doing. Ideally, you want to you want an antiviral vaccine to do two things. First, reduce the likelihood you'll get severely ill and go to the hospital. And two, prevent infection and therefore interrupt disease transmission. Even though he'll right now argue we never tried to do that. Which is, you know, he's contradicting his own statements, which shows you pretty clearly that he's a liar. Current phase three trials are not actually set up to prove either. This is Peter Doshi telling you this. None of the trials currently underway are designed to detect a reduction in any serious outcome, such as hospital admissions, use of intensive care, or deaths. So explain that to me. And you've been hearing this from me. I'm hoping to reach maybe the one new person in the show today. Explain for me how they could have never none of the things they're telling you this is designed to do or it's even set out to find out. And you know this, <clears throat> for those that have been listening from the beginning of the, the entire series that we've told you, that only ever set to reduce mild to moderate symptoms. So how is it suddenly reducing severe disease? Now, you could argue that it just ended up doing that, even though they didn't try to, but guess what? That's not true. And that's what I keep trying to show you guys. None of the trials currently underway are designed to find out that find those things out, nor are the vaccines being studied to determine whether they can interrupt transmission. Now, again, I still argue the reason they chose to do that is because they knew that they weren't, or rather they maybe even designed them not to skip the animal trials before they push this out, which that's where you would have found that out. Yes, they did rapidly come back and do a little flash in the pan, small version of it, but that's after the fact. So it was already too late. All here, all the information's there if you just care to look past what the mainstream tells you to think. Severe illness <clears throat> requiring hospital admission, excuse me, 
Severe illness requiring hospital admission, which happens in only a small fraction of symptomatic COVID cases. Remember me reading this back then? Excuse me. Remember me reading this back then and saying, wait a minute, they're screaming that we're all going to die in October 2020. This is the worst thing we've ever seen. Worse than 1918. It's the biggest pandemic in a century. Remember all that? They're still saying that, even though it's even more obvious that's never been the case. Look, I mean, and I was going, wait, so tell me this. A severe illness only happens in a small fraction of symptomatic COVID cases. Therefore, it was unlikely for it to occur in significant numbers during the trials, which made it hard for them to fight. But yet it's the biggest pandemic of the century and we're all going to die and it's going to kill 3.5% of people. They knew that from day one, guys. If Peter Doshi could point this out, if I could then point it out, they knew that too. They lied to you like every other part of this. Imperial College of London lying about the, 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 the severe the death rate using relative reduction instead of absolute risk reduction. I mean, there's a thousand ways they chose to mislead you. Data published by, by the CDC in late April reported a symptomatic case hospitalization rate, remember, of 3.4% overall. Why? Because they gained this research. We know that's a lie now. Remember, we look back. We know. We know as a matter of fact. The way they got 3.4 was by lying to you. They subjectively pulled out things that they thought, or rather they wanted it to say they thought would happen, which which looking back now, we're completely and utterly disconnected from the data or the science. So where'd it come from then? They guessed in a very self-supporting way which is what they pay Imperial College of London, specifically Neil Ferguson, to do for them, in my opinion. But they that's how they got the number, which we now know is very, 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 very wrong, varying from 1.3 to, uh, excuse me, 1.7 in 0 to 49 to you know different variations, which none of that you should listen to, because most people with symptomatic COVID-19 experience only mild symptoms. Again, if that's the case, how in the world? Is, I mean, you realize that's what they're telling you. Well, now it's all mild symptoms, but that's what it always was. That's what it always was. Was it the flu? Was it cold and the flu? Was it pneumonia, cold and flu? Was it cold, pneumonia, and flu and a little small new thing? I mean, you could argue any number of those things. Or, as Denny Rancourt keeps pointing out, based on the evidence you have in front of you right now, it's very easy to tell to show that there was probably nothing, that it was all a complete misrepresentation. Now, I'm still open to a lot of different perspectives because I do think I've seen a few different things that make me wonder just a couple more steps past that. But at the end of the day, I have always argued that this is a huge illusion. If we know it's not more severe than they, if we know it's less than the flu, then it has to be an illusion. That's why they combine the flu and combine everything else because it's bigger, grand, more grandiose than that. But then you have to ask the question, could it be nothing? Are we really need to begin asking this based on everything we're seeing? And even right now, guys, where's the flu? Right. I mean, right now the flu should be coming up just like it does every year during the winter, but it's, it's all COVID. It's all COVID talk. We had this brief moment of flu Rona. Wait, no, it's Delmacron. Oh, different things in there. Look over there. And that fell on his face because it was ignorant. It was absolutely scientifically ignorant, but here we are. No flu. Right. I wonder where that's going, but I'm sure they'll play that back and forth. But in the trials, Final efficacy analyses were planned after just 150 to 160 events. That is what Corbett told you. That's what I told you. That's what we've always told you. That's it. Yes, they had 40,000, but that ended up being reduced down to 150 to 160 events. That's it, because that was how mild it was. They couldn't find any more. But let's pretend like it's the biggest pandemic of the century, right? That's it. A positive indication of asymptomatic COVID regardless of the severity of the illness. Now we go to what Tal Zaks told you. Now, how many times have you heard me say this? Tal Zaks, chief medical officer of Moderna. I think I might've said CEO in the past, misrepresenting that, but 
chief medical officer, told the BMJ that the company's trial lacks adequate statistical power to assess to assess the outcomes. Now, where does this, the, the adequate statistical power come from? Well, the people funding it, the people driving it, and the time and the effort and the resources given to the group doing the trial. It says, quote, the trial is precluded from judging hospital admissions. That's weird. They seem to be arguing they know it all now based on what is reasonable size and duration to serve the good pub, the public good here. Hospital admissions and deaths from COVID-19 are simply too uncommon in the population being studied for an effective vaccine to demonstrate statistically significant difference in the trial of 30,000 people. Hospital admissions and deaths of COVID-19 are simply too uncommon in the population. And it's in the same discussion. I mean, this is from Peter Doshi, obviously, but if this was even remotely, if this was half of what they said it was, that's, I mean, guys, that's so damn obvious. It makes me, it pains me. It, It really does. This is in October 2020. The same is true of the ability to save lives and prevent transmission. The trials are not designed to find out. What about Hotez's second criterion then? Interrupting virus transmission, which some experts have argued should be the most important in phase three studies, which has always been the point. Well, Tal Zaks uh, Zaks added a 30,000 trial is already a fairly large trial, except that it reduced down to 160 because that's all you could find. If you're asking for a 300,000 trial, we're, no one's, we're not asking for that. We're saying, why don't we do what is necessary to get the outcome so we know it's safe? Instead of just doing a small thing that doesn't get the outcome, then saying, well, safe and effective because emergency authorization, it's all we know, right? If you want to do this the right way, that would be the right way to do it. Spend the money, 300,000 trial, wait to find out if it's safe, give people early treatment, do what you can within within your means. Don't just dive into your pre-designed, pre-planned direction of nanoparticle mRNA platforms and just drive it down people's throats when you don't have all the research and it clearly didn't succeed and the platform is not even remotely. I mean, it's so obvious how this is falling on its face looking back from where we are now. If you're asking for a 300,000 trial, then you need to talk to the people who are paying for it. I've said that so many times because we're now talking about, you know, basically a more expensive. 10 times a side. Yeah, exactly. So paying and doing what's necessary to find out if it's actually safe, not just what you think you want to see based on limited data. Still, it's fair to say the most of the general public assumes the whole point of the current trials besides testing was to whether or not they prevent bad outcomes, which is what they're selling you on right now. How do you reconcile that? The BMJ asked Talzax. Now, you can read through this very for yourself. He gets into the point of saying, well, flu vaccines and this and different, none of it is actually sound in my opinion. And it all ends up back to the point that they're not designed to tell us. So all we're left with is saying, what does Moderna say? What did the, what do the pharmaceutical companies tell us this is supposed to do? And then we can say, well, what is the world showing us? Well, don't forget though, the government's going, no, 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 don't look at it. You don't understand what you're looking at, right? You have to squint just right and stand on your head. And that's when you see it the way we want you to see it. Don't don't look at it the way it's very obviously showing you, right? It's unreal where we are. As people say, don't trust your lying eyes. Actually, we're using the channel today, realize, realize, right? Now, this brings us to the point of the fourth shot of the same thing that was not designed. I mean, that was still based on the original strain, even though they're telling you you're working with other things. So based on what they're telling you, that is exactly what they're saying we shouldn't be doing. I don't want to play that clip again. If you want to go back to the beginning and watch it, the person telling you that you do this exactly what's happening now, you will hurt people. You're giving them a shot for something that's not currently there. That's why they're already working on something else. So 
why are we pretending a third or a fourth or a fifth or sixth or seventh is even going to make a difference? Here is the USA News. So US News saying a fourth coronavirus shot will likely be needed. But questions remain about when and what kind. You see how this is just, a, this is, these are pre-designed ideas. The when it's going to happen and which one we're going to use, well, that's a foregone conclusion. Why exactly? I mean, really think about that. Just because that they say, you realize there's a, I mean, half the country disagrees. Half the experts is more than half, in fact. Yet this is happening despite the data right now, despite the narrative falling apart, despite transmission not being stopped, despite four to five times the viral load and the people that have the injections, despite everything. They're going, yeah, yeah, we'll need more. Just we see tweak what that means exactly. How about we all go, let's pause a minute and reassess where we are. No, 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 no. Don't do that because then we'll realize we're in a bad place. Let's keep jamming through the narrative. Keep jamming in the vaccines even as we roll back why the vaccines work. Here's what it says underneath that. Some immunocompromised Americans can get a fourth one starting this week in the United States, prompting questions about what the general population can expect. Just like in Israel, remember we keep telling you, more vulnerable, immunocompromised, only them first. And then they roll it out. Then it becomes necessary. Right now on the third part of it, we're already getting into the phase of it's going to become mandatory. It's going to become fully vaccinated, despite what we're hearing in the news, which is ridiculous. So it's it's a slow roll. In Israel, they're already on the fourth shot. They're already coming out and saying, well, the fourth one doesn't work. Meanwhile, they're still basically driving it in. I don't understand how that even makes sense. Even though they came out and were saying we should roll back the green pass. And I mean, all that's the, sh- the window dressing. Despite, the, I don't mean that in the sense that that's not the real agenda. I mean that that was, ha- that was being stated. That didn't really happen to the gr- degree that we know it will and can. Just like in the U.S., they're kind of stating they're rolling it back from a government level, but it's not really going away. This is the planned fortification, retreat fortification and pause and waiting for us to get comfortable with green passes being used, but not forced, right? Until there's another reason why we need to bring it up again. Well, now we need to ask, maybe we should talk about that green pass again because of this new thing we're scared of. See, this is how it goes. But before we go forward, I do yeah, I have more in here. Well, here, I'll read this first since it's only one paragraph. This is on December or January 13th, excuse me. A growing number of countries are rolling out plans for a fourth dose of coronavirus vaccine. I mean, really, despite everything that's happening in the news right now and all around the world and still it's happening. I mean, I'm baffled by that. I'm not really, to be honest, because these are people, this is my point, they're nose down tunnel vision in the agenda, the narrative. They know what they they think they're supposed to be doing and they're going. Just because there's new data flying up over here that we're you know, attuned to and we're showing you before the, even the media is talking about it. These governments have no clue about that. So they're running forward, local or federal is the point. But it says, amid surges of the Omicron variant, right? The thing that we keep telling you is not very dangerous, but that we're still using to justify more action from other experts who remain unconvinced about the necessity of the additional boosters, Israel is leading the way, currently administering an additional booster to anyone over 60. Right now. Despite them going, it doesn't work, though. It doesn't work, but we're going to do it anyway. But here's the point, though. I, as always, I'm going to continue to bring this up. I don't understand how this is still not being discussed. This is the missing information area from the current data from the risk management plan from Comirnaty, even. The one they claim is approved. It says missing information and use in immunocompromised. The safety profile of the vaccine is not known, not limited, not known. They have no idea if it's safe for specifically immunocompromised. I mean, I just, I, every time I bring this up, I'm like, how is that even possible? Where is, 
there's somebody out there that must be honest in mainstream circles, right? Why is Tucker Carlson and Glenn Beck guys jump on this? Make it your story. You know, don't, <laughs> that's what always seems to happen. Jump into it, make it the story, get it everywhere. That's all that we needed right now is to get it out in people's faces. There's seven good points in here that should shatter the narrative that nobody's talking about. Here they are saying some immunocompromised people can get a fourth one. How is that even on the table? Like I, here's, there are, and I'm, I really want us to think about this for a second. Cause I bring, I brought this up so many times. They're coming out and saying they're at most risk, elderly people, immunocompromised, they're at the most risk. So we should give them the shot first. Now I understand their broken narrative, even if it doesn't make sense for them to say, basically that, you know, emergency use authorization to say, well, the benefits that we know of outweigh the risks that we think are there, which means we don't know the full risks or the full benefits, which means they could be completely wrong. The idea of that is only meant to be used in very, you know, by, we're supposed to pretend they're honest people and it's supposed to only be in very slim cases where it's the absolute necessity. But now you stand back and realize, oh, wait, literally everything's emergency authorized right now. All the vaccines, the masks, the lockdowns, everything, which means they are using that because somewhere in there, they know that this stuff doesn't add up. That's my opinion, but I think it's pretty obvious. But discussing this, how in the world are we pretending that giving them first to those people who they don't know if it's safe makes any sense just because you argue they're at the most risk? I mean, that's like that's literally like saying, let's take this, this random syringe off the ground. Who knows what's in it? Give it to them because they're at the most risk. We have no idea if it's safe for them, but we know they're in danger. So why not? Does that make sense to anybody? I mean, that's that's a perfect analogy because again, it says undeniably clear they do not know. The safety profile is unknown. So it might as well be some random thing with a liquid they have no idea what's in it because it's unknown. On top of that, pregnant women. On top of that, frail people with comorbidities. That's old people, elderly. They're telling you we don't know. Limited information at the very least of it, whether it's safe in these elderly people that we're forcing it on first. Now, on top of all that, you might have seen that the WHO scientist, Dr. Sumya, is openly speaking out and saying that there is no evidence, and she says at all, no evidence, comma, at all, that healthy children and adolescents need boosters. Now, by the way, we should be clear about the fact that they need none of them, not just boosters, but any of them. They have no need whatsoever, and that is absolutely an... That is, they will censor it anyway, but there is nothing anywhere that backs up the argument that these children need this other than the fact that they say that of unknowns. We don't know. Long haul, which by the way, we keep showing you is psychosomatic based on peer-reviewed science. But just because you don't know doesn't mean we should give them something that they're not at risk from. They have a one in a million chance of dying if they're under 19, according to Oxford. On top of that, it's less risk than the flu. On top of that, none of them are, look at the data. It's uncanny. There's nothing happening to them. Statistically speaking, most clearly, but in general, I mean, in most cases, that in most places in the world, there's none. There's only ever been over just over 400 claimed hospitalizations, and none of those were investigated by the CDC. And then we find out even from Newsweek that most of those weren't even actually COVID. And still, we're pretending like we need these shots because scared adults are using them as shields. Okay, so the point is, all of it is clear. But let's just make sure we're understanding that right now the booster is all they're focusing on and all they act like is the booster is the savior. That's the one thing you need. Even though, again, right now in Israel, they're going, nope, not even the fourth one worked. But we somehow don't know that. We're over here. Take the third one. Take the third one. I mean, it's just irrational. 
They know what Israel's saying. They're just hoping to get you into the third one before they admit that it doesn't work and then push the fourth. And then, you know, it's on and on and on. Meanwhile, they're rolling back everything, but this is not stopping. We, I hope we can see that. Now let's watch this clip. I want you guys to hear what she has to say because it's, it's, I mean, this is, think about the idea of like not challenging the WHO, right? We just read that. In fact, they're saying, oh, the WHO guidelines, well, they've never followed them. They only point to them when it aligns with what they're telling you. Against Omicron, many of the vaccines have shown a reduction in efficacy against uh, infection. And that's why we see a lot of breakthrough infections, but these are mostly um, not resulting in severe disease. So, uh, so that's a positive. Um, there is some waning. And by the way, that's for everybody. They keep pretending that's because the vaccine. Nope. Omicron is, is mild. It's mild. And there's no discernible difference between the mild that the unvaxxed injected gets and the mild that the injected gets, which pretty much shows you that that's not having any effect. In fact, I think it's making it worse. Which occurs over a period of time. And we've seen that. uh, Which, again, is my opinion. I don't I mean, I always say that just to be sure. But you guys are well aware when I'm citing my opinion. But I I will always say that Uh, there's a slight drop in the protection, again, mostly against infection but also a little bit against uh, the severe disease. And we need more of those studies. We need to follow this out. Make sure you heard that too. I'll go back and play it again since I stopped it there. She's telling you the same thing. That it, this is, it's the same situation even after the booster. So why then are they pushing the booster if we continue to see the same thing? Now, we also should stand back and recognize that the below 50% efficacy should be immediately removing this from the emergency authorization. But they're not doing that though. Because none of this is about truth and honesty at all. It's about lying to you about... I mean, that was a long time ago, by the way. Even Moderna was at 36% for a while. And as far as I can tell, it still is. But they're still giving it. So, you know, there's nothing sacred. Their own rules are not... They they were never meant to be followed. They're only for you to think they're following them. Um, There is some waning which occurs over a period of time. And we've seen that uh, there's a slight drop in the protection, again, mostly against infection, but also a little bit against uh, the severe disease. And we need- Again, yeah. So on top of that, even even if it's, it's more than a little bit, but she's being what she's telling you is people that are injected are also waning in regard to their, their protection against disease and, and hospitalization and death. You're not hearing that anywhere, despite what the data shows you, right? I'm just reading something in the chat saying, please stop saying that. They're saying the same thing about adverse reactions. I'm not sure what you're getting at. Respond again. Let me know, Javali, what, what you're saying and what they're saying. But the point is that if you're reducing their potential, their safety against these other things, well, why are they still yelling at you that it's 95% and all this, which has never been? You know, it's just, it, none of, it, nothing about them adds up. Narrative is all they have in the mainstream media. We need more of those studies. We need to follow this out. And that is why we've said putting all of this together the aim is to protect the most vulnerable, to protect those at highest risk of severe disease and dying. Those are our elderly populations, the immunocompromised. Both of which we don't have evidence for. I just, I'm, I'm baffled by this. Limited information. Not known. That's the WHO for crying out loud. That's the WHO saying clearly that we're giving it to them first, despite the fact that we don't know if it's safe. I mean, I just, I just, I can't get past that. Oh, Jav, you're talking about long COVID? Well, I mean, are you listening? I've said very clearly long COVID was something we already showed was not real. I get maybe you missed that, but let's keep going. People with underlying conditions, but also healthcare workers, because 
if a lot of healthcare workers get infected as we oh i see i see well just to be it doesn't matter people love to hear what they want to hear i guess what I said was very clearly that it showed you that people that are having extended periods of, of what they call long COVID has been addressed as, as psychosomatic and people have lost taste and smell and so on. Then that's the only thing that they can tie to people that have sub- specific COVID. That's what I said. And that's what the study says. You feel you're having it. Then you deal with that on your own time. <laughs> right. I mean, the idea is the science says that not that's my opinion, but I do believe that based on what the science shows you. And it backs up the fact that most people that are dealing with that never proved they never had COVID. So you put that together for yourself. Maybe you should consider that. We see now they can be out sick and we don't want them getting uh, severely ill. So to reserve boosters uh, for that population, um, there's no evidence right now that healthy children or healthy adolescents need boosters. No evidence at all. At all. Um, there's no evidence right now that healthy children or healthy adolescents need boosters, no evidence at all. So this is why the SAGE, which is our uh, technical um, expert body that makes policy recommendations, has been meeting and will continue to meet, will meet later this week to consider the specific question of how should countries think about giving boosters to their populations with a view to protecting people. Hmm. It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's no, none at all. So think about that. That's the WHO telling you there is zero evidence to suggest why, uh, showing that we, that rationalizing giving boosters to children at all. And yet we're doing it. Yet your government's pushing it. Third, fourth, I mean, right now. <laughs> J.O. Toner, counter. Now I'm going to stop it as much as I want. So get used to it. <laughs> I'm just tired of people. Get you, make your own show, guys, if you want to do your own thing. Huh? I'm going to stop it because that's what this is about. It's about making sure we understand different points. But, and if you don't like it, then go somewhere else. You know, that's how I feel today. But the point, the point is, the point is, oh, I, and I want to address what he was saying before in general too, the adverse events thing. Remember, we already talked about that. In the chat, they were saying ultimately that the adverse events are being called psychosomatic also. And we already went over that. We already discussed in a previous show. But remember, it's completely baseless. It's 100% baseless, not for all the reasons I went over in the show, but the most absurd one was they're using the same argument they dismiss when we make it in regard to the other point, in regard to long COVID. They're just, they're just such hypocrites. It blows me away. But regardless, the point is no evidence at all. None. It just, we are still doing this regardless. I mean, here, and here's Healthline even. Why a fourth COVID shot won't likely provide more protection? This is January 17th. And you've already heard this. The European Union came out. Regulators in Europe say getting too many COVID booster shots may actually weaken your immune system. Now realize that that's the case regardless of whether you've gotten one, two, three, or four, or five. It's very clear. The scientific research peer-reviewed shows you multiple things, which is the Increase in risk of getting COVID-19 within the first 50%, in fact, over the first nine, seven to nine days. That's Pfizer's study. Of course, it goes down below and they claim that it's okay. It increases your risk of getting sick in the first week, but we don't care about that as long as it gets better later. That seems silly, especially since those are the people that are getting sick right away and then being dismissed as something else. But the point is, then you also have people that are getting in, uh, getting injected. And 50% of them, according to Swiss policy research, have a dysregulation of their immune system. Those things together, adding a mass that increases your risk of infection. I mean, you're getting people sick with this stuff. Of course, then we have the doubling risk of cardiac event. You also have the reality that after 90 days, 
it again falls off and actually increases your risk of getting sick by 75% in Omicron. We'll show you that study again today. All of this stuff is being shown and all that, that's their waning, apparently. It doesn't just wane, it actually sharply increases your risk. While natural immunity is seemingly continuing to be durable, lasting, robust, never changed. Omicron and everything going forward. And all they can do is keep screaming at you to get these shots every two, every 30 seconds, it would seem. Scientists in Israel also report that a fourth vaccine doesn't appear to produce enough antibodies. But, oh, first, this I already showed you, Israel's trial. And this is important to see because we have to understand that the U.S. government is very, very aware of what this is or of what's being stated here. Fourth dose, not good enough. Yet, here we are. New data shows how long protection may, <laughs> may, so we're guessing, last from a COVID vaccine booster shot. Now, here's the, this is the feeble and pathetic efforts they make every time. All they do is go, look, the second one dies, but look at the third one. Right after they give it, it's right back up there. Okay, what happens in two weeks? Oh, we didn't go into that. Okay, so what's the point of a scream? Oh, it works again. They did the same thing after shot two. Oh, the worst one goes up, then it goes down, and the second shot brings it back up again. And then they tried to hide it until we kept driving in, and they've, oh, well, clearly we need a third now because it wanes again. Well, we'll get into it in a minute, show you the same studies that show you after two months, it goes down every time, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, especially since you're giving the same thing based on the same strain that's no longer here. It's irrational. Now, on top of that, they're going to argue in this area that Omicron is the 99% of what's happening in this country. And they're going to say that it's always been that way. But wait a minute. Didn't they just pull back that number because they were wrong? This is my point. Some of the media apparently missed that. And they're still arguing the news that was already changed. It's really pathetic. But January 19th, researchers now have the first data looking. And I <laughs> love that. Now have the first data looking at how long the protection from a booster shots last. Oh, they do, do they? The first one? Wait a minute, though. Here's a here's a study from January 1st. Here's a study from December 23rd. Here's a study from December 29th. All of them discussing the viral, the effectiveness of the booster and how long it lasts. But wait, but I'm confused because NPR is telling you it's the first data. I guess they missed those multiple other studies finding things before January 19th. No, or they're just lying or they don't care because they just want you to go look at the one thing we want you looking at. It's the first one because nowhere else is data that we, it's, they want you to look directly at this because this is the one thing that they want you to see because it says what they want you to think. Or they just missed it. Great journalism that you could type in booster and these things will come up. I mean, it's, it's almost, it's, it's just, it's likely that they didn't care to look because they don't care and don't want to challenge what they're saying or that they just are that bad at their job, but whatever you want to look at it as. Now it says before Omicron, the question was, will two shots of the COVID vaccine offer enough protection? No is the answer, but let's keep going. Now, two months into the surge here in the U.S., the question has become, is a third shot a boost, a booster enough? Well, researchers in the U.K. have the first in-depth data addressing that question. It's not true. So the new data come, and the reason they're calling it the first is because they like what it says. It says, so the new data comes, and it's actually not even that good, from researchers working in the British government. And they analyzed over 700,000 cases of Omicron. And so far, they have long-term data just on people boosted with Pfizer. Long-term data? <laughs> so Omicron started in like the end of November, middle November. Apparently now long-term data is a couple of months. <laughs> Do you not realize how 
strong, how, how clearly they're trying to change the way that you view these things. Long COVID, we were talking about after a few weeks. That's supposed to be years. I mean, it's just, it's just pathetic to me. Come on. Long-term data on boosters and Omicron, we're barely in that conversation. <laughs> it's just so funny to me. And what they found in this very short long-term data is that two weeks after the shot, long-term, two weeks after the shot, protection against symptomatic infection is good. <laughs> two weeks. Uh, gee, I wonder why they shot after t- two weeks. Woo, long-term. The booster cut your risk by around 70%, they said. But that protection declines pretty quickly. <laughs> what? After three months, after your third shot, protection drops to 50%. Researchers estimate it will continue to decline over time. So where's this long-term data? Goes on to say, overall, it will likely last less than six months. So why do this? Right? They're telling you right now that these don't work while they're arguing that they work which is exactly what we thought we were last year with the Delta variant. That's right. That's where they were. None of things are working. It hasn't stopped anything. So when you're boosted, your antibodies levels climb up and then they diminish again with time. Well, that is accurate, but not the way they're trying. They're trying to hide the failure of what they're doing behind the misrepresenting the normal situation behind their dropping off entirely. But it says, which is perfectly normal and expected. But what happens in a normal situation is your antibodies are made while you're in need of them, and then they slowly wane because you no longer need them. And then that's when your T cells rise in your memory B, and and that is the immunity. That's the lasting sterilizing immunity. And then if it comes around again, your body knows how to make those antibodies. You see, what's happening in your body with the injections is it's mRNA instructions to make a spike protein, and then you make antibodies for that spike protein. End of story. If that's even what's happening. And then those stop, and then you're still having people get sick, if that's even ever what happened, and even if it stopped anything at all. The point is, this is not what we're talking about. This is why they tried to race into making some nasal one, because they had no mucosal immunity. That wouldn't be the case if you were making something that created T-cell immunity in memory B. That's not the reality. What they're trying to do is hide behind your lack of understanding or average person's lack of understanding around what the process, how it's supposed to go. If you have a thing that's continuing to make antibodies forever... It's going to make you sick as they keep showing you, as they keep discussing that you're going to make antibodies for something that's not necessary to your body that can create a serious problem. It says, so we will see some protection with a boost again against Omicron, but that protection is going to wane. Exactly what we keep telling you. And when they say some, it's less than before. So you're getting a less less effect than before. And they're arguing that's good, but it's going to wane again anyway. I mean, this is like five steps back, one step forward. And we're pretending like it worked again. One step, we're good. And, you know, it says the question with these vaccines has really been, how quickly will the protection drop off? Well, I can tell you because the science is right next. And now we know for infections, it's really on timescales of months. It says, okay, but where does all this leave us? So are we going to need to keep getting boosted every, I don't know, every three, four months? <laughs> yep. It says, yeah, many scientists say, you know, that's really not practical or even effective. Preliminary data from Israel this week shows diminishing returns with a fourth shot. And scientists tell me we're going getting to the point in the pandemic where stopping most infections is likely to be impossible. Exactly. The point being that it's continuing to spread <clears throat> predominantly by the injected, which mean, which is why it's clearly a pandemic of the injected. And we'll show you more of that as we go forward. Because people that are injected are the ones continuing to spread based on the data they're showing you. And then people that have natural immunity aren't on top of that. 
stopping most infections. I mean, the clear point of this is that none of that's been happening at all. But as I was talking to uh, this person in general about this, he's at University of Arizona. He says the focus may need to shift to making sure everyone's protected against severe disease. So now it's all of a sudden, all it's, we're just shifting the entire narrative to saying we're just going to reduce. So everyone's going to get sick. This We've already heard them living with COVID idea. They're shifting the narrative in a way that makes it work for what they failed, how their failed effort has stalled. He says, could we get into get a point to where, you know, the public health recommendations are shots maybe once a year? Yeah, I, I don't. I do think so. I think that's fairly likely. You know, whether people absolutely need it or not to prevent severe disease each year, we'll have to wait for the data. It's like the flu, just like we told you. Remember, that was a conspiracy theory in the beginning. They were going to make this like a yearly flu shot or six months, like they're telling you. That's another conspiracy theory that has now come to pass. Conspiracy fact. Not because we knew as a matter of fact, but because we are paying attention because we're students of their actions. And we said this is probably based on their narrative and what they've argued before is going to. And here we are. He says, he, he says uh, you know, this yearly shot should be updated versions of the vaccine that could offer that type of protection against future variants as well, which brings you into the argument of where this is going, the universal vaccine, which is always one of their end goals. But the idea of shifting to protecting against severe disease, it just, it, it this creates a, a situation where this never goes away. That's the point. And by the way, that continues to mean that people are continuing to spread it, even though they're injected, which means they continue to create variants. Now, you look, I mean, think of it this way. Think This is an easy way to see that their variant argument is a false narrative. If every single person in this country got an injection, three of them for that matter, they're clearly telling you that it doesn't stop transmission. It's going to continue to spread. Vast majority of the actual transmission is happening in the fully injected, triple injected for that matter, the vast majority. Oops, where were we? Here. So if that everybody's injected and it continues to spread, and the argument is, as even the mainstream is now making, that every single transmission is another chance for it to mutate, well, there you have it. It's continuing to spread constantly. It's continuing to work around this thing. It's going to continue to mutate. It's going to continue to make new ones, which means they'll continue to make new injections. You know, the opposite situation, which is where people have natural immunity, and this stops. Right, but see, that's not how that works for them. This is the point of the next, well, here's the Bloomberg article with a paywall because that's always how successful platforms make it work. But here's what it says. What if your fourth COVID shot could last forever? Yeah, because it wasn't like this was the planned end game, right? I mean, you know, so we're acting like, the idea that this is perfectly leading into exactly what they said they needed before this started is almost hard to miss. The universal shot, the universal flu vaccine, the mRNA platform, this is the future of what they were telling you they wanted to get to, and they actually created a situation that justified this exact step. Or they had just that bad at it, and they figured they'd jam it in now, but, you know, they usually plan these things out a little bit. Just one vaccine for all variants. Well, you don't need that. You already have that. It's called natural immunity, which continues to make antibodies to all of the variants it's going up against, even if you got sick back in 2020. But they're just going, ah, na, la, 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 I don't hear it. I can't see. I don't want to know because it hurts their narrative. But here we're already on the fourth dose in Israel, as we were saying. On a fourth dose with mask mandates, with vaccination of children three years and older and vaccine passports for every citizen, almost 70,000 new cases, highest per capita anywhere in the world. How can you pretend it's making that makes sense? They are the most boosted country on the planet. 
they're already on fourth. And look at that. With masks, with passports. I mean, this is really getting obscene. The people that want to pretend this makes sense, and that because of that 1% of people that aren't getting the injection, that somehow none of this makes sense, do you not realize how that means it will never make sense? There will never be everybody, will always be an excuse that keeps it going? Yeah, that's the point, guys. Like, really take a minute and step back and think if one person, if one small, if some percentage is that one guy on this side of the world, it'll never go away. Or we allow people to do what they want, right? As, you know, quote unquote, free countries would do. If they want to get sick, they get sick. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you want to be a, can use your passport, use your passport. As long as you're not forcing people to do these things, then it, that's up to you. The problem is that they did force them and that's where they are anyway. Yet here's the CN, here's CNN, despite what we just showed you, what we'll show you next, blatantly misrepresenting what this actually shows you. We'll go into the study next. Boosters provide the best protection against Omicron variant. <laughs> Seriously, not joking after we literally just showed you that. But guess why? Because the CDC studies show you. In fact, it's one study. I think there's two, but they, I guess, accidentally only linked to one of them. And then a JAMA study, JAMA network. But the point is raising new questions about what it means to be fully vaccinated. Ah, and there's the kicker. And that's the point. The planned roll in to changing the fully injected this discussion. I could pull up the St. Louis government platform that shows you that's exactly what was always going to be the case and so on and so on. But either way, boosters provide the best protection. Seriously? Other than natural immunity? Well, that's literally what they just said the opposite of in their other article we just discussed yesterday, which is that the protection from immunity was better. It's just, it's all over the map. And this is my point. CNN is just towing the line. Have they not realized that this is already being shown to be false? They don't care. Three three large new studies, which is not even true, from the CDC highlight the importance of getting a booster shot to provide the best protection against the Omicron variant, which is already being shown to be completely useless against this. But it says this is the first real life data to examine the effect of boosters against Omicron. <laughs> Fake. Like, again, I mean, it's just so frustrating how we continue to show you the, the, these are only the three I have in front of me and all of you are pulling from the same discussion. The CDC is lying. CNN is lying. Bloomberg is lying. NPR is lying. They just, or they're too stupid to know any better. You choose for yourself. The first real world data, despite the ones we've already discussed, which now account for more than 99% of coronavirus cases in the United States. What? The studies released Friday raised the question of whether people with just two vaccine doses should still be considered fully vaccinated. Like, it's for those of us that have been so far ahead of this, it's so painful to watch them drag the narrative. Maybe we should consider making it three fully vaccinated. It's like, even though they were going, you're a liar, fake news, dangerous medical misinformation, like three seconds ago when we said that. But here's the point. 99% of coronavirus cases in the United States are Omicron? Okay, wait a minute. When did that shift back? Right? I mean, I want to know because we just talked about this. Here's the study or the article from NPR. The C, this is this is from December 28th. The CDC slashes estimates of Omicron's prevalence. That on December 28th, they pulled it back to 23%, a 50-point drop, suggesting that while the variant was on the rise, it was not infecting people at the rate they had projected because it was a guess. Just like and I'll make that even more clear in a moment. It's always been a guess. They don't know for sure. And if it can go down by 50 points, their guesses are meaningless. So 
Yet now, in less than a month, it's back. It's 99%. Well, maybe. Well, let's keep going. I, I, I'm going to show you that's obviously not true. But this is my point. CNN hasn't got the word, apparently missed the fact that they rolled this back. And are just still rolling with the narrative that it's the most. And COVID, it's, yeah, Omicron is everywhere. Even though Fauci was kind of already saying, but, but Delta is the most. Oh, wait, but no, it's not. Oh, but wait, now it's back to that. It's just, it's all over. And none of this is backed up by anything other than narrative. But let's go forward on their article. I think we have to redefine fully vaccinated as three doses. What a novel idea. Where'd you get that idea? Says longtime CDC advisor advisor for vaccines. Weird. It's almost like he's got an agenda. Getting boosted was 90% effective at preventing hospitalizations during a period in December and January when Omicron was the dominant variant. That's not true. that's, That's staggeringly false. 90% 90% effective at preventing hospitalizations. The data does not back that up. Omicron, Delta, any of it. I mean, the scientific research on the variant, on the booster shows you that. But says, according to the CDC study, of course, that looked at nearly 88,000 hospitalizations across 10 states. Well, here are the studies. In comparison, oh, they're down here. Getting two shots was 57% effective when it had been six months past the second shot. Okay, 90% effective, but by the time you get done with it, it's 57% effective. And we're watching it happen. I mean, again, that's what they're saying, by the way, which backs up the idea this doesn't last, but the data does not back that up in regard to 90%. These are narrative points that keep saying 95% effective. And also don't forget that's all based on relative risk reduction, which is a complete flagrant lie. But getting boosted was 82% effective at, at preventing visits to emergency rooms. Not true. I mean, that's one of the major points today. I'm going to show you that today, that the data from the booster very clearly shows you that the increase is very much slanted towards the boosted and the double vaccinated and whatever else you want to call it, according to the study. Of course, according to the CDC slanted study, yeah, which looks more at twenty at these visits. Now, here's the point. In comparison, getting two shots was only 38% effective at preventing those visits when it had been at least six months past the shot, second shot. So the point is they're, key, they're trying to rationalize why you should stay on their regimen. Get it every three months and you're okay. But here they point out that this study published on Friday said this thing. Here's a second study also published here concluded this. Now they point to this study and it goes to the same link. Now I personally do not see a second study. All I see is one study. Now whether they're trying to make that look like two studies or two different things, the point is both links go to the same place. Okay, but then you've got the JAMA one. Either way, let's take a look at what the studies actually say. Here, effectiveness of a third dose, on and on, same argument. In only 10 states in specific time frames, which I don't know why that is even, I mean, it's just, there's plenty of larger studies out there that do much larger grant. I mean, anyway, the point is COVID-19 mRNA vaccine effectiveness in preventing COVID vaccine might decline because of waning vaccine-induced immunity or variant immune invasion. Things that they kind of don't even admit to on the mainstream media. Waning vaccine-induced immunity or variant immune evasion. It's not working is what that means. Vaccine, natural immunity. Doesn't do either of those things. Vaccine was significant. Vaccine efficacy was significantly higher among patients who received their second dose less than 180 days before getting encountering the virus, which shows you it doesn't work after a certain time frame. And those vaccinated uh, equal to or greater than 100 days earlier during both Delta and Omicron predominant periods. 
Receipt of a third vaccine dose was highly effective at preventing COVID associated emergency department and urgent cares and preventing. I mean, this is the, the, the way that they make this lie. If it stops working, like, and here's the point when we get into the actual breakdown of the science, which we'll get into a minute. What they're telling you is that this immediately wanes. I mean, instantaneously stops working. And then it wanes to basically no effectiveness after two to three months. So just because they, the moment it starts, they say, look, 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 that's what the, I think even Forbes called the flash of the pan study where they right out of the gate go, look, look how well it works. 99%. That's what Fauci saying that based on this efficacy, it was going to continue and clearly didn't. It's not, that's, this is an illusion and that's not absolute. It's relative, but it says all unvaccinated persons should start with vaccination as soon as possible. Start vaccination. The point is they already know that you have to get one and then two and then three and continue down this path, even though one, two, or three are all being shown to not have the effect that they're pretending it does. So you pretty much assume you're going to have a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. All adults who have received mRNA vaccines during their primary COVID vaccination series should receive a third when eligible. And then it says, and eligible persons should stay up to date. Don't miss what that's showing you, that there's going to be more than three. But it says estimates of COVID vaccine effectiveness have declined in recent months because of waning vaccine-induced immunity over time, possibly increased immune evasion or a combination. Immunocompromised individuals receive a third primary dose. You know the same point. It doesn't make any sense if they don't know the safety. But who cares, right? Yet data are limited on the, on the real-world effectiveness of third doses of COVID-19 vaccines in the United States, especially since the new variant. Okay, Data is limited on the real-world effectiveness. Variant became predominant in mid-December. What? If the variant became predominant in mid-December, why exactly does the NPR on December 28th say, nope, we rolled the CDC, which that's the CDC, we rolled it back to 23%. And yet the CDC is saying the opposite. Did you see what I mean? Like there's no, it's all that's that the CDC themselves reported. And we showed you the, the report from the CDC, the links in this article said themselves, that's not true. We rolled it back 50 points to 23%. Yet in this CDC discussion from today, they point back to the same time frame and say it became predominant in that exact time frame that we already reported. It wasn't actually the truth. <laughs> Who cares? Just fall back in your chair and with apathy and say, I don't know. I'm just going to trust they tell me because everything doesn't make sense. That's ridiculous. They're lying to you in every other possible way. One day it's good for them to say not Omicron and say Delta. The next one it's good to say Omicron because it works for their narrative. It's all ridiculous narrative. As they say, limited real world effectiveness. So we're giving you our opinion based on that. Yep. But here's the main point. And this applies to both of these that they're pointing out in this article. In a multi-state analysis of 222,772 ED and EUC encounters, and 87,904 hospitalizations among adults with COVID-like illness. Oh, look at that. All those people screaming in the beginning. That it, oh, they didn't say it was flu-like illness. It doesn't apply to COVID. Well, there you go. So they're, they're including flu in this discussion. There's so many disgusting ways this is the worst. I mean, what's the right word for it? There's so many uh, asterisks, caveats to this. And, and that's not even before, that's before they get into their limitations next. COVID-like illness. Between August 26th and January 5th, that's it. Estimates of vaccine effectiveness against laboratory-confirmed COVID-19 declined during the Omicron-predominant period compared with vaccine effectiveness during the Delta period. During both periods, vaccine effectiveness was slightly lower among patients who received their second dose. Yeah, it's not working. 
And it's not just Omicron. That's what that last sentence makes clear. We were already seeing the same situation after Delta, and all they did was couch it all in Omicron. They were already seeing the the waning and the declining because it wasn't just Omicron. It was already failing with Delta. They're just desperate to blame it on something different. Now, it says these findings in this report that that CNN, by the way, is using and touting that the boosters provide the best protection. I mean, that's literally not even what the study says in the title. But here's, get this, this is what the limitations say. And nowhere in this CNN journalism are you going to find this important information. The findings in this report are subject to at least seven limitations. The observed performance of dose three is limited to a relatively short period after vaccination. (laughs) Yeah, you don't say. Yeah, I guess they forgot that part in the CNN article. It, It fails after two months. But it says third, the reasons for the decline in vaccine effectiveness during Omicron are unclear. Okay, so they're telling you it's because the variants and the Omicron variant or the mutations and everything else. And why are they telling you that? Narrative. Because if the CDC is going, we don't know why. Then why is CNN and Fox News even going, well, it's because it's mutated? Because they're towing the line. All of them. Fourth, limited data during the Omicron period reduced the previous, the precision. Limited data during Omicron which is what they're reporting on, (laughs) reduced the precision of the vaccine effectiveness estimates and precluded tests for effect modification. Are you serious? The entire thing is about the effectiveness of the ejection, and you're literally saying that because of the limited data during the period you're reporting on, that reduced precision of that exact metric precludes tests for effect modification. But let's just run with it and pretend it makes sense. It says unmeasured and residual confounding in this observational study, might have biased the estimates. So not only are we guessing, but we might have unmeasured and residual confounding situations in the observational study, which is that's what it is, a terrible lowest level evidence observational study might have biased the estimates. But go ahead, CNN, run with it like it's the newest thing that's going to change everything. Sixth, genetic characterization of patients' viruses was not available. And analyses therefore relied on dates when the Omicron variant became predominant based on surveillance data. God, that the whole thing should be thrown away. I mean, seriously, we are watching, it's the same point I just made. We just showed you, they said, well, it wasn't even predominant. We rolled it back. We we were mistaken on December 18th. And yet they're pointing in that exact time frame and saying that that's when it was predominant. Then down here, they say the genetic characterization of exactly that situation wasn't available. And the analyses therefore relied on, or excuse me, that the characterization of their the patient's viruses was not available. And the analysis therefore relied on this exact situation of Omicron variant when, when it became predominant, which they're lying about, or at the very least, giving you two different perceptions of. That's the whole thing this is based on. Then it says the Omicron period of predominance in this study, which is at least up for, up for at one point they said it wasn't, one point they said it was, so it's challenged likely includes medical encounters associated with Delta. (laughs) So they're meaning that some of these Omicron things might actually be Delta, so we don't even know for sure. If vaccine efficacy is reduced against medical care associated with Omicron variants, this study likely overestimates the vaccine efficacy. Oh my God. Can you have picked a worse study? They likely overestimate the vaccine effectiveness, but here's the CDC and N going, but the effectiveness is exactly why. Let's up, let's up into three. But see, this is the saddest part about this. As people read this headline, 
And that's all they they think they're informed because they blindly read what the CNN headline says, the CDC study says, without actually reading the study, which says something completely different. It's just painful to watch how people are blindly going along with this. Now, here's the other one they point to. January 21st, 2022, association between three doses of mRNA vaccine, symptomatic infection. This one is so abstract, it's painful. Now, it's not that it's not bad data, but the way that they're trying to make it make sense within the context of what they're arguing is painful. The findings, it says, in this test negative case control analysis, again, it's an observational one, included 70,155 tests from symptomatic adults. So right out of the gate, you realize these are people that are told they're sick. People that are, have the sniffles and get a test and are told they're sick. That's included. In some level, because you know there are false positives, so that they're using data from before and using that to break this down. So it's this is a valuable piece of work that you could use, but you have to factor in that that's not this isn't sound enough to say this proves everything. Again, these findings suggest something that we probably should not at least frame like CNN is. Finally, it says. Data from, oh, there's two points. Data from the ICATT platform, a Department of Health and Human Services partnership facilitating no-cost drive-through SARS-CoV-2 testing at pharmacies across all 50 states, the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico were analyzed. So they took HHS data, drive-through data, which is even more flimsy, and pharmacies, which is the worst of all of it, and looked at it. Testing sites were selected, of course, by the HHS. Okay, so there's at least a subject, they selectively and subjectively chose specific sites that they would use. Let's not, let's pretend like HHS doesn't have an agenda. Then it says a retrospective test negative case control analysis was conducted on samples collected from December 10th, January 1st. That's it. From December 10th to January 1st, from adults 18 years or older with symptomatic COVID-like illness. So it could have been the flu. This is garbage in the context of how the CDC is using it. This is interesting information that could be applied in lots of ways. But the way the CDC is arguing, using it to say this proves to you that it provides the best. I mean, they're flat out misrepresenting what these things say. I think that was it in there. At the very least, they're not the the, the, what we're showing you is exponentially more sound. Now, here's Peter McCullough pointing out something that's very valuable to hear, especially from somebody as highly credentialed as he is pointing to the same study. Which, by the way, I don't know why he doesn't want to put the links. I, I, my gut, my gut tells me it's because he's decided the links are what's getting him censored. He's probably right to some degree, but it drives me crazy that we, they don't, pe- they're not posting the links for people. But you could search the title, which, but the problem is they're censoring that too on search engines. But whatever, at least it's being shared. Doubled and tripled, people that have two times and three times the injections have very high and equal viral loads with Omicron and Delta compared to those with nothing. That's what, on top of what it's finding, that's also what it shows you in here. And you can find this. It's right down here. This is the discussion down uh, right here. Talking about viral loads. You can read this for yourself. There's a lot in here. There's there's actually interesting information in the study. But his point is, compared, you know, taking the, the central finding aside, doubled and tripled injected have equal or higher viral loads than people untouched. That's Omicron or Delta. And that could, that backs up what other studies have already found. Four to five times the viral load. I've already been telling you this. Now, he says, and this is the main point, biased, confounded, and non-randomized data, which is what that was, that's why it's being framed in a way the CNN wants to make it look, you know, it's, it's manipulatable, cannot draw conclusions on binary outcome of test positive cases at community testing centers. 
They're just using it the way they want it to look. You know, and it's 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 a it's deceptive. Now, I'll include these for you guys to look at yourself because that's the main point as well from all of this. What do they not do in deciding whether these are better for you or CNN says whether or not that's the best thing you can do for Omicron? Oh, they just happen to leave out whether or not you have natural immunity? I guess they just forgot that, right? It's so obvious how willfully they're choosing to ignore this stuff, despite the fact that nature says it'll last the rest of your life. Or Science Magazine tells you that they demonstrate that convalescent subjects, people that got sick in 2020, are still making antibodies for variants of concern. Delta, Omicron, even if they got sick all the way back then. And that goes along with T-cell, memory B, which all the rest of them show you. As well as the fact that even the NIH back in January told you, lasting immunity. So it's it's baffling that Fauci can be so confused about it, right? It says right there, the immune system of more than 95% of people who recovered had durable memories of the virus up to eight months after. That's not because it stops at eight months. It's because the study ended at eight months. Meanwhile, think about how much more relevant that is now as we're watching two months waning after just antibody production, if that's even happening at all. Here's the WHO. Same thing. Within four weeks, 90 to 99% detectable neutralizing antibodies. Here's the Lancet telling you that regardless of disease severity even, which is another point they try to use to make it say, nope, doesn't matter. You could not even know you have it and you're going to get natural immunity that lasts the rest of your life. And guess what? Most people had this before this started. A majority of uninfected adults already had pre-existing antibodies. And I already showed you this. All right. So all that's always been there. And by the way, I could bring up like 45 other journals showing you the same thing. And yet we're confounded by whether or not this is real. And CNN omits that. And the studies omitted. And they put it in quotes. And they say it's a conspiracy theory. How do we not see how dishonest this is? And just to briefly go over the data from the most recent studies, all these three so far are on preprints. These days, they probably will never find their way onto peer-reviewed studies unless they go to IPAC and places like that with James Lyons-Weiler because the politics are are, are more important to them than the actual studies on the pre-existing journals, maybe other than British Medical Journal and some of these other places that are getting some of them out there. But the point being is this is this is the recent science. And what is it telling you? Vaccine effectiveness against Omicron was only 37%. This is before. Yeah, that, that's exactly my point from before is that that means that specifically in this case, both of them, in fact, should have been pulled from their emergency authorization. They didn't do that. They're like, wait, 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 just let us make another one. Then we can go, nope, that's not how it works. You don't get to do something different or try a third one or tweak the study or make another objection. Once it drops below 50, it's done. They're already in illegal territory right now. Or they're lapsing of the emergency itself or plenty of other ways that they've completely missed the mark and nobody cares because they're off the rails. Rampant lawlessness. But it says two doses of COVID vaccines are unlikely to protect against infection by Omicron. We all know, even they're admitting that now. Third dose provides some protection in the immediate term, but substantially, not not some, but substantially less than Delta. So you're, even when they're telling, they're telling you it works, all they're telling you is that you get improvement. Yeah, but improvement from zero could be anything. The point being is that it's less than before. So even with the third shot, you were never even getting close to what they said was happening before. Then the next one, which tells you they found vaccine effectiveness against Omicron. Oh, this is the same same kind of idea, 55, 36. They're dropping below 50. That's respectively, and this is in the first month. The first month, it drops down below 50%. Then it declines rapidly over just a few months. So the third, gone. This is booster we're talking about. Booster shot. 
which is not even a booster. They're already telling you it's going to be part of it. The vaccine effectiveness is reestablished upon vaccination, they say. But then don't forget that the most important one tells you the CT values. At the beginning, it was 2.7. Then uh, relative to unvaccinated in the first, just the first month alone, it decayed down to just 1.3, meaning first month, it was basically down to nothing. Then in the second month and became small, Oh, excuse me. That's the, it says that then decayed to 1.3 in the second month. So first to second month is the point. It goes down to basically nothing. One being baseline, 1.3. Then it says became small and insignificant into the third and fourth months. This is the booster still. Insignificant. That's not that it's like you wanes a little bit. It's gone. That's what the Israeli study showed you. It goes down to basically zero. Then it says the rate and magnitude of this post booster decline in viral load reduction effectiveness mirror those observed in the second one. Shocking. I don't know why that would be shocking to anybody. It's the exact same shot doing the exact same thing. These results suggest rapid waning of the booster's effectiveness. Okay. So what you're seeing here is that from one to two to three, the same shot does the same thing. It immediately falls off. And after two months, it drops to basically insignificant. So it doesn't matter whether you want to get the next one. Or they do a study that goes, look, we just boosted them and they're already back up to 90%. Yeah, what happens in 30 seconds? It drops back down. to It's gone. You have to see how willfully dishonest that is because they already know the previous studies. Now, here's Steve Kirsch pointing out something I think is important. This is actually from December 24th, but he references, it, references this in the next one. New studies show that the COVID vaccines damage your immune system, likely permanently. Now, we already covered this. This is the point I was just making before. 75% increase in, after Pfizer and Omicron. But don't forget, I mean, just so we're clear, this is the one showing Delta. And this is that same Ezra Levant tweet that we showed before. Here's the actual study. I'll include this so you guys can look at it again. But the point showing you is that 70, it's minus 76. There's a negative efficacy. You have a 76% increase in catching Omicron. Oh, but Delta dropped down to 53% ne- uh, Efficacy. Remember, this is the point from the other studies we're showing you. Moderna was down below 50%. Anyway, his point is, that's on top of everything else we're already telling you. The vaccines are making you more likely you'll be infected with Omicron 90 days after. And that's why maybe in some way they're desperate to get to some people if you think that's what they're doing. But he updated, he said, the numbers in in Denmark study described below are now confirmed by the government data from Germany. So not only is this information true, but it's confirmed by another government showing that vaccinated people are eight times more likely to develop Omicron than unvaccinated people. Eight times. Now, this is Daily Expose doing a good job. Oh, it's weird. For some reason, this wasn't working. Now it is. Thank God. My Something on my computer was blocking this website. Official German government data suggests the fully vaccinated will develop acquired immunodeficiency syndrome by the end of 2022. Now, this is their, this is what they're taking from the data. That's why they're saying the data suggests, so take that as you will, but it's good information. They're, they're going through the same information that we keep breaking down. Good, It's a good article to read. Now, the point being, this is not surprising since the paper from Germany showed the same thing. The more you vaccinate, the worse it gets. I mean, it's very clear, and this is based by on the scientific research. Now, if they want to say that's fake... I mean, that's the craziest part about it is it's not, they're not even saying it's fake. They're just ignoring this stuff. Now, here's the fact check around the, the specifically the Denmark research. And it says, I wrote earlier about the Denmark study showing the vaccine efficacy against Omicron goes negative for 90 days. Now, again, that's what the actual data shows. 
But it says, here's why. And of course, the Reuters fact checks just go, no, fake news, because Pfizer said that's not true. <laughs> oh, gee, great fact check. First of all, a hand-wringing argument supported by no data, which is what their fact check did, claiming bias is not convincing. We're pointing at scientific data and they're going, but you have bias. Furthermore, it says, I think the Denmark paper was accurate for these three reasons. One, we do see negative vaccine efficacy consistently in many other studies, which is the point. Of course we do. Vaccine efficacy continues to go negative in that study consistent over time. How, how can they explain that? They don't. They just hide from it like this. If it was behavior differences between vax and unvax that accounts for the bias, then how come people who got Moderna behave differently than people who got Pfizer? It says, one of the commenters on the original paper wrote something very similar to what I wrote. He says, so assume the results you like are causal. So what they would like, which is high vaccine efficacy for recent vaccination, but hand wave confounders at results you don't like, such as negative vaccine efficacy for distant vaccination, right? So basically the point is they like the ones that they like, even though it's causal, but they hand wave the ones that, I mean, it's, it's and they, the point is he's, you know, science or subjective choice. It's what we see everywhere, guys. They're willing to use the same logic that we will, even though they dismiss what we do as fake news, as long as it works for what they're saying. I couldn't have said it better myself. He says, this was my reaction too. And don't forget, we already covered this as well. From November, worldwide, basic and causal impact analysis of vaccine administration on deaths and cases associated with COVID-19. Now, this is analysis. Take it for what you will. It's from 145 different countries. Causal impact, right? The point, it, this, this has not been peer-reviewed. The point, nonetheless, is this is backed up by all the data that you can verify for yourself. And I already showed this to you. Y1 and Y2 are different metrics. Total deaths per million are Y1. Total cases per million are Y2. Results indicate that the treatment vaccine administration has a strong and statistically significant propensity to, to causally increase the, the values in both deaths per million and case per million, over and above what would you would have, would have expected with no treatment. 86.78% of statistically significant countries uh, showed an increase in total cases per million of COVID due directly to the causal impact of treatment initiation. The statistically significant and overwhelmingly positive causal impact after vaccine development on the de dependent variables Total deaths and total cases per million should be highly worrisome for policymakers. They indicate a marketed increase in both COVID-19 related cases and death due directly to vaccine deployment that was originally sold to the public as the key to gain back our freedoms. The effect of vaccines on total cases per million and its low positive association with total vaccinations per 100 signifies a limited impact of vaccines on lowering COVID associated cases. All they do is dismiss stuff like this. Here is another one pointing to a larger point that they're trying to dismiss right now. Look, it's misleading, they say. When you click on the link, it takes you to a bunch of abstract, unrelated things that that's supposed to be related somehow. You know what I mean? Like you click on this related to a very specific point and they say it's misleading. Click here for more information. You click here and it's like vaccines are safe. Masks work. <laughs> okay, it has nothing to do with what this is saying. Like they don't care. All they want you to see is misleading and walk away from it. Law or fiction says the UK's Office for National Statistics, the ONS, has admitted to a statistically significant increase in deaths of males aged 15 to 19 coinciding with the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines after May 2021 in a direct challenge in open letter to Sajid Javid. The Heart Advisory, Health Advisory and Recovery Team, Heart, put this out and we'll read this 
so you can check it out for yourselves. And it says, health professionals call for urgent investigation into the deaths in young males. Now it says, members of HEART and the health advisory and recovery team have joined with other senior academics and health professionals to call for an immediate investigation into the increasing death rate among 15 to 19 year old males since May of this year. At the high court on Thursday, the 13th, January, the ONS, Office for National Statistics, confirmed that there has been a significant rise in the death rate for adolescent males over the last eight months compared to the same time period of 2015 to 2019. There have been at least 65 extra deaths in England and Wales, though the figure may be higher due to reporting decays, delays, or coroner cases. During the same time frame, there were only two deaths involving COVID. Now, of course, they're going to try to argue in some way that this would be COVID caused the you know myocarditis or however they would try to frame this, except the fact that this doesn't add up in a lot of different ways, specifically in my opinion, because ultimately a lot of the, the idea that these, these kids would get myocarditis despite not, I mean, the, the, these are the, this is the age group, by the way, that's the least injected. That's the first point. And saying that it can, the, 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 the rate is just higher after getting sick in general is one of those false arguments they keep making. But 65 extra deaths in Wales. And this is a point that I was actually thinking about somewhere else as well, that they're going to try to argue that the increased excess mortality is simply because of COVID. But the argument is that most people are injected. So, I mean, how do they, you can't just play this wherever you want. If most people are injected and they're supposed to be protected, how do you then argue that there's, there's an increase in overall mortality in any age group? You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't really, it adds up. The idea is that that mass herd immunity they keep telling you it's supposed to cause would be protecting for the, it doesn't make sense. The concern is that this time period can coincide with the rollout of vaccinations to this age group. That's correlation, which is important, who are known to be at an increased risk of myocarditis. And the point is before that, the increase wasn't there, right? So if it was just COVID, well, you would have seen it before the rollout of vaccinations, right? An open letter to all these politicians and the relevant public health bodies has been signed by over 80 scientists and health professionals demanding an urgent investigation, which they'll ignore, which is what they do. But here's another angle to this. And I actually think this is meant to sort of hide the undeniable reality of what they just admitted because it's not the same point yet. They're weirdly related fact check article examining. I hate the way that they do that. The way that Reuters does this, that that's not how, in my opinion, that reads as the fact check article. That's not how they're meant to, they're, they're, they're going fact check article examining the probability. <laughs> it just makes me crazy as an editor. Like that, that is not how that should look article examining the probability of Omicron variant breakthrough cases is misrepresented online. Is it though? I don't think it is, but let's look at it. My point is this is using ONS statistics. And I think what's happening is this is being used to dismiss this, which is what we've seen a lot. They always use other stories to kind of cover and shadow things. Like when the Pfizer C, the Pfizer information about uh, the CEO came out, there was like important information about what was happening and what he just admitted about the injection. And that same day, all of a sudden there was fake news circulating about how he got arrested. It was completely fake. It was not rooted in anything factual. And a lot of the people that usually spin that stuff, even though they pretend that they're on the side of the truth, were screaming about it. And then when we came out and argued, look, that's used to hide this, we got censored for it as well. And the point is that that information got buried. They do this on purpose. Now, it says new data from the UK's ONS says that triple vaccinated people are 4.5 times more likely to test positive for Omicron than the unvaccinated and that double vaccinated individuals were 2.3 times more likely. 
Well, this is what the data does show right now, but we'll get into it in a second. Social media users are misrepresenting the findings. They're lying to you, says Reuters fact check. This is on Omicron's apparent ability to break through vaccine protection. I mean, we just read so many things that say exactly that's what's happening, but by saying those vaccinated are more susceptible to infection overall. Well, that's literally what the data is showing. In the UK, we'll show you next. It's frustrating. Just to skip the whole point, it says, and you're using uh, the Daily Skeptic to try to undermine this. Indeed, the December 22nd article, which they they do a great job in, in most cases I've seen, article clearly states in paragraph three, Note that this is the probability of infection being Omicron given uh, an infection being Omicron given a person is infected. So it doesn't tell you how likely a person is test positive in the first place. It also says, quote, this means it doesn't tell us that the vaccines are making things worse overall, only that they're making it much more likely that a vaccinated person is infected with Omicron. Okay, well, it's just a very self-serving sidestep, but it says Cook added context saying, quote, From our recent characteristics release, we also see that unvaccinated people overall are more likely to test positive, regardless of the variant. That's completely false. And all it is label it misleading, which is weird. They undermine everything they say and then say misleading. The other day they had half it right. They called that mostly false. These people are all over the map. But they literally just said not only that people who are not injected are more likely to get the case. They're talking about cases now, not hospitalizations, not deaths. So explain this to me. We are literally looking at three doses right there. Now, guys, this is not just Omicron, right? This is everything. Cases in general in the UK reported between week 51, week week two. This is what they're talking about, right? Right now, this is what they're pointing at, okay? It says very clearly that, I mean, everything other than under 18, every single one of these categories is higher. Or excuse me, I guess the last week, these were obviously much, much higher. But the point is, at the very least, these are basically exactly the same. And then the most vulnerable dramatically. I mean, that's double the risk in most cases. Then the most important part is when you add them together and average the risk. Obviously, it's very clearly the not injected have a less risk. Which, by the way, oh, actually, we'll get to that in a minute. I'll, I'll, I'll point it out real quick before we get back to it. The point is right here. You break it down based on the overall percentage and the injected, whether one, two, or three, have a 3,075 per 100,000 risk, whereas the uninjected have a 2,476 per 100,000. That's the risk right there. So what are they, I mean, that's a Reuters fact check. We all, we already know that they completely lie or just subjectively take statements out of, con- I mean, they're blatantly misrepresenting the facts. Or at the very least, this is how they play the game. They're not going to argue that they lied to you. They're going to say, all we did was quote what the expert said, right? Here's what the expert said. He stated this, and all we did was quote him, that it's the vaccinated person is infected uh, down here. From our recent characteristics, that you're much more likely to get it if you're unvaccinated. Well, we didn't say that was true. We just said he said that. That's just my opinion on what they might do. But the point is clear that that that's wrong. So Cook, who is... Jonathan Cook, literally the ONS communications officer, doesn't know that? How could he possibly not know that? He's blatantly lying to you, or he's the worst person possible ever in that position. Because this is the most current data right there. Is that that it over here? Yeah. And here, 
is even something else that adds to that. This is the same report that he apparently doesn't know about. He's telling you that you're more at risk. And again, to make so in case you missed that, this is not just Omicron. It's all of it. So he's pretending it's no, they're misrepresenting the Omicron, whereas the general risk is more not true. That's everything. And here is what makes that clear in results on the same report. In individuals aged greater than 30, the rate of a positive COVID-19 test is higher in vaccinated individuals compared to unvaccinated. It says it right there in plain English, and yet ONS doesn't know that? Hardly. They're lying, and the media states it because that's all they do. They they toe the line. They regurgitate as stenographers exactly what they're told to say. Despite the exact opposite being stated in the report they're pointing at. Think about how ridiculous that is. You are of higher risk. That's what I said in the last story. Did you have twice the risk? You have two times the risk of getting a case, getting infected, than other, if you're in the UK, apparently, than other people that aren't. Now, on top of that, we're going to get into the statistics in a minute to finish the show to show you undeniably that you're at more risk in a very powerful way at the end. But the defenders also pointing out on top of their fact check dismissal of how they're at more risk. Well, guess what? 40% national nationwide rise in excess deaths, specifically among 18 to 49 year olds. That's exactly the category that's at most risk from heart inflammation. Isn't that interesting? And in fact, the, the, the group that has some of the most, the highest problems when you break down the data, which I've always found strange. It says death certificate data from the CDC shows excess deaths increased by more than 40% in that age group, 18 to 49, during a 12-month period ending in October, and that COVID caused only 42% of those deaths. So you have a 40% increase, yet 42% of that, so less than 50% of them, were COVID. So what accounts for the other... 58%? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? But they don't care and they don't want to know. Excess deaths are defined as a difference between the observed number of deaths during the specific time frame and the expected number of deaths during that same period. period. Now, here's a place where they might try to start admitting what they say is fake news up until now, which is, well, the lockdowns are hurting people. And well, we have old people dying in the hospitals and and the masks are making people a little sicker. And, you know, okay, well, that's why. Well, if, I wouldn't be surprised by that if it does happen. We've seen the same thing happen everywhere else where they grudgingly admit part of what they've been lying about the whole time to get away from a previous lie. Bottom line is, it's quite obvious what the clear injection was. <laughs> Not, you know, pun intended. What was injected into the thing, into the situation here was the injection. And that is increasing the risk based on the data that we're seeing and based on what they've already told you can happen. The 40,000 different super rare problems in a huge pile that increase your risk dramatically. Excess deaths are defined as the difference. State-level data for the same 12-month period also shows increases. For example, in Nevada, excess deaths were as high as 65%. COVID only accounting for 36% of that. Guys, the people that are supposed to be watching this stuff are so so obviously selectively grabbing things. You know what I mean? Like that's in front of you right now. Now, if you don't, why you wouldn't dig into that is baffling to me, unless it's clear you don't want to see what it shows you. The District of, of Columbia saw an ever greater increase in Nevada than, than Nevada, 72%, with COVID not being a factor in any of the deaths. A 72% increase in death in, in the DC area with COVID not being involved in any of that? That's crazy. 
If that was in any, I mean, if that was the reverse situation and they, they suspected COVID, I mean, that would be on every headline for the next three months. That's a willful ignorance. Increases in excess death were most noticeable in the Midwest and Western and Southern states, while states seeing the lowest increases were primarily from the Northeast. On the low side, New Hampshire was the only state to see no increase in excess deaths for the eight, for the 18th to 49 group, nor did it record any COVID deaths among that group. It's very strange, isn't it? I would argue that means New Hampshire is just hiding things. That'd be the, my, I mean, there's no way that lines up, but it, that's just a guess. But it says, according to Epoch Times, the CDC data on the exact causes of those excess deaths aren't available for 2021. Isn't it odd how many of these weird little situations they have? We're like, oops, a glitch. Oh, can't find it. Oh, we accidentally posted the results from last week. Our bad. Over and over and over and over. Excess deaths from that very, very relevant situation we don't have yet. Aside from those involving COVID, pneumonia, and influenza. Oh, that's self-serving, isn't it? Those, those There were close to 6,000 excess pneumonia deaths that didn't involve COVID-19 in that group in the 12 months ending in October 2021. 6,000. Well, we know that the masks can dramatically increase that risk. But there's a lot of things that they combine, they call whatever they want. It says influenza was only involved in 50 deaths in that age group, down from 550 in the same period pre-pandemic. The flu death count didn't exclude those that also involved COVID or pneumonia, the CDC noted. The CDC data also showed an increase of 27% in excess deaths in the 50 to 84 group, 12% first 85 and older. This data, I mean, guys, these are some of the most highly vaccinated groups on the planet. So how, how exactly are we seeing an increase in mortality? That's not supposed to make sense. The data are in line with insurance data from India, revealed last month by Scott Davison, CEO of the Indianapolis-based insurance company One America. During an online news conference, Davidson said there was a 40% rise in, de- in the death rate among working age people 18 to 64 in Indiana. He also said COVID was not the leading cause of death. We talked about this. Davidson also said he saw the rise in death rates starting in the third quarter of the last year, continuing into the fourth quarter. He said it was the highest we've seen in the history of the business. When the Epoch Times followed up on its initial investigation, several states confirmed the data and said they were investigating. That's interesting to me. So these states are confirming what they're saying is correct. The Epoch Times repeatedly inquired to the White House, the CDC, about any steps they're taking to examine the very clear issue. And of course, they failed to respond, which is what they do and pretend it's not even there, pretend we didn't get any reaching out. So what's behind the rise in excess deaths? There's a lot of things you could theorize about, right? What, what One of the things they were pointing at in here was, you know, increases in the, the drug abuse. And, you know, that's the point that I think they're going to start, start admitting these things grudgingly. But here's an obvious thing that we need to point out. Not a hypothetical, but a valid, very real example of what is happening that I promise you is one of the largest causes here. This is AUS Navy stats. In 31 years, there's been 317 cases of myocarditis in service personnel. In 31 years, 317. This year, up to September 28th, this is posted on October 16th, there have been 1,113 cases of myocarditis. It doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to crack this case. Are there any journalists out there? Any at all? Well, we've been covering it, so hopefully you've watched our work. But the point here is that this is an obvious correlation that perfectly coincides with the increase of the injection. Now, you go back before it, you don't see that. You don't see this in the early, the, the time when it was 
everywhere with no injection. Same with the variants. Where were all the variants when this was ri ripping through the U.S. in 2020, right? Weird. They only started showing up after the injections. Same with this. If it was so prevalent after we didn't see the sharp increase before, we only saw it align with the injections, which is just correlation, but that matters. And of course, we have real science, and I'm going to just update this before we move on to see what it went to. Went up by almost 30. Almost 30 more athletes have had cardiac arrest since the last time we looked at this page. 495 of them have had cardiac arrest, verifiably those who have had cardiac arrest and have had, had a shot. Can't prove it caused it, but it's verifiably people who have had an injection and then had a cardiac arrest, most of which on the field. 291 of them are dead. Now, remember that there was only 617, I believe, they were reported in a four-year period. That's one of the big reports of adjust on FIFA. On top of that, the report from the NIH, a 20-year study, showed that it was 1.46 per 100,000 per year. In any case, we are so far past that, it's disgusting, When we, especially when we include the children and everything else we're seeing. But we can keep pretending this is fake news because we don't want to address what's clearly happening. Now, Austri the Austrian parliament, despite all the evidence, has approved mandatory COVID injections. And I thought this was funny because I was posting this before it was even being reported in the mainstream media. I tried to find a report and it was nowhere because I'm using the same reporting systems that they look at. They tap into the AP, you know, uh, uh, Reuters, uh, what is it? I'm blanking on the term all of a sudden. The bolt system where they just break down the reports. So I said, Australian Parliament approves mandatory COVID injections. We'll post a source once the corporate media is told they're allowed to report it. And then I got one of these down here where you could look at it. So there's the link you can look at. But they did. They approved this in the Parliament. Mandatory injections, despite everything. And don't, and don't miss that you are there right now in your country, in the United States, if you're in the United States, they are driving for the same thing. This is, guys, this is in light of everything that we're hearing, the breakdown of the information, the, the collapse of the narrative, the fact that these injections are barely working, if at all, and yet we're still pushing to take them, still pushing to inject children, still pushing to isolate the uninjected, even though that means that they're only not injected, not that they're sick. If we don't think right now that mass psychosis plays a role in this, that I, you're, I mean, that's this is off the rails. Utah leaders... I, sh I mean, I take that back immediately. Utah politicians have surrendered to COVID pandemic. That's what the title says. It says cowardice and misinformation at all levels have left each one of us to fight this alone. As opposed to what exactly? Typically, when you fight a virus, you're or whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to deal with, a cold or a bacteria, well, you're fighting it alone. I, I, don't, I can't remember the last time where the government, right? I mean, this is the, the, what, what I'm trying to make here, the point, jokingly, is that it's amazing to me that this, they're, Framing this as if we're supposed the, the government invasively doing this into your life is what we should expect. And then, oh no, what they're doing is pushed it back to where you fight this all alone. Right. As opposed to what? When's the last time the government stepped in to help you with the flu? Right. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And to make that act, to make it act like that's the normal and that we're in a bad way as we're now finally going back to where we maybe get to make our own choices. These are totalitarian technocrats that are completely caught up in their own authoritarianism. January 15th. So as, as, as this is talking about surrendering the pandemic, let's see what they want them to do. The Salt Lake County Council came with a single vote, came within a single vote Thursday of overturning the county health department's mask mandate, 
which would have been tragic, they say. Okay, so these are kids that are all still predominantly wearing cloth masks, despite as, and even as they're admitting that that doesn't work, they're still driving this in. And by the way, none of them are statistically significant, which they'll probably eventually grudgingly admit while pretending they were somehow always right. It's just pathetic to watch. Before we go on to the next part down here, one vote, they say, they almost missed the mask mandate, which would have been tragic. Oops, that's not right. Where was that? I thought I had that in there. Maybe it's the next part. That's that's weird. Maybe I'm misremembering. God, there's so much stuff I include in here. I guess I, I guess I didn't include the mask part. <laughs> anyway, so the next part then. The point was just simply how silly it is that they're pushing about the masks, even though it's so clear that's falling apart. But here's the main point. Were Utah a truly civilized place, they say, the governor's next move would be to find a way to mandate the kind of mass vaccination campaign we should have launched a year ago. Civilized, they say. Even though that violates international law, even though that violates personal rights, even though it violates domestic law, right? I mean, UNESCO bioethics makes it very clear. Your personal body's rights and autonomy are more important than science or the collective society. That's been made, that's been since 2015. That's UNESCO, the United Nations. Your government says the same. This is all sorts of other things. Nuremberg, all sorts of other realities that make it clear. They don't have the right to argue that your collective safety is more important than your own personal choice. But this is these are Utah politicians arguing to violate international law and the Nuremberg Code and all sorts of other clear, agreed-upon realities from before. That's being civilized now. That's called Orwell, that is literally Orwellian to do things that are the opposite of civilized countries and call it civilized. But they go, they say, we want to do that and we should have done it a year ago. Mass vaccination forced. Going as far as to deploy the National Guard to ensure that people without proof of vaccination, so otherwise, otherwise unvaccinated or people that just don't have proof of it, would not be allowed, well, anywhere. This is, this is, these are members of your government arguing that the military should literally be stationed outside or rel- relatively close to houses to make sure that you are not allowed to leave your home without getting an injection. Now, th- th- again, this is, not, this is under the, ab- the uh, irrational argument that you're sick because you don't have an injection. And in the beginning, they already tried to argue this. And there were some holdouts that were going, guys, we're, re- we're de- conflating these things and too late. These, if you think that we're far away from that, from this, from from mandatory forced injections, you're not watching. Because right now, despite the evidence, you have politicians in the United States openly calling for militarily forced and administered injections, or at the very least, mandated injections, so where you can't leave anywhere. You're not allowed to go anywhere without getting it first. That's dangerous. But there is some good news. We do know that Ireland is apparently to lift almost all of their restrictions tomorrow, according to the prime minister. Now, something could change before now tomorrow, but that's a good thing to see. Now, how does this make sense with everybody else? I mean, the narrative we are seeing roll back, but wait a minute, we have people going farther in other directions. More mandates, more forced stuff, but Ireland's going, we're moving everything? Oh, don't forget, Sweden didn't do any of it, ever. <laughs> Don't talk about that one, Ryan. That, that, we're not supposed to talk about that one. Okay, what about all the you know, other places? Like, oh, that's right. Even in the UK, COVID vaccine mandate for NHS staff could be paused. 
by the government over fears of people leaving. But wait a minute. If the science they kept screaming backs up that move, why would they not do it? So it's more important to have people staffed that can kill everybody, understand that's their narrative, than it is to save everyone's lives? Obviously, I don't believe that. That's what they're saying. But you see how that doesn't make any sense? All you're really seeing is they're being exposed. That they're, they were arguing up seconds ago that we were so dangerous and our, our simple suggestion that we should do what he's doing right now was enough that we should be arrested for it. We're creating vaccine hesitancy. We're putting people's lives in danger. And then the next day they go, oh, we're all back because, you know, you see it. How do the average people who are swayed by this not see that right now? I think they kind of do. They're kind of going, wait a minute, gosh darn it, you just said we were all in trouble. And then because they just dug their feet in, you just went the other way? Yes, that's because they never really believed it. The whole point was, if you resist, you can win. But a federal judge in Texas issued a nationwide injunction blocking Biden's vaccine mandate for federal employees. Which, by the way, I mean, it was already, this is already collapsed. So it's interesting this is still going, being discussed. But the vaccine order, as it says, poses substantial harm to, quote, the liberty interests of employees who must choose between violating a mandate of doubtful validity or consenting to an unwanted medical procedure that cannot be undone. It's well said. That's the federal judge in Texas. But here's the point, guys. While that's happening and while they've already pushed this back, here's Ben Swan posting on Sovereign, by the way, which you should check out. Our We have a TLAF has a channel. on. We're one of the first, in fact, on Sovereign. We're still posting all of our content there. As soon as they get the live stream up and running, we're going to be doing it here too. But this is the NYPD. This is four hours ago. At least when it was posted, detains a child for entering a museum unvaccinated. But wait a minute, didn't they just shout down the mandate? Yeah, but you see, that's the point. That was always, in my opinion, not really the whole point. It was about the people that were already enforcing it. I mean, where are the parents? When's the last time you got arrested as a kid with I mean it's crazy. What kind of future do we want for our children? Just because she refuses to show her papers. Papers, please. Of her experimental gene therapy. I mean, it's wild to me. Like, so, you know, let's just think about this in this this context of how, like, so you're entering a building without the proper documentation. That's what you're being charged with, whatever that becomes in the COVID world. So in any other context in the world, or let's just say in the United States, you try to go and do something like that, right? You don't have the proper documentation to, you know, I, I don't even know, for a child saying, not like a first thing that pops in my head was like a driver's license, but as a child. When's the last time you get arrested in a car, handcuffed, put taken to jail as a child? This is punitive. They are trying to prep, they're trying to punish people, including children, for not doing what they're told. There's nothing about this this evening except where's the parents? I mean, you know, in my day, 
even with something serious, you got set down, the chi- the parents got called, and then if the, the parents could deal with it, you're a child, you're not an adult yet. How are you being arrested as an, I mean, I don't, this is so upsetting to me. It just shows you they're continuing, no matter what. It will continue. That's the whole point. What future do we want for our children? California's bill is letting kids 12 and older get a vaccine without consent. Now, that's been happening all over the place. They've even argued from the beginning that in some cases, you don't, even though there's not a bill, they were just saying, well, if the doctor thinks he's old enough, he thinks he's smart enough, he can just do it anyway. Uh, undermining things like this show you how broken it is. You know, things that were sacred before this are now whatever, because vaccine's good and COVID dangerous, which neither of those things are actually completely true. Fauci says, we just told you the other day that he hopes the FDA will authorize Pfizer's COVID vaccine for kids under five in the next month. This is so broken and dangerous. It just, it's, it's, I can't see it as anything other than criminal. The only, I mean, the reason I'm so certain about that is because everything else we've shown you, Fauci either knows about that or he's choosing to ignore it. That's criminal. However you spin it, there's nothing, including by the way, what the WHO lady says herself, right? I mean, how can you, how can you argue? How could this be the case? If Fauci, where were we right there? So Fauci's telling you that we're going to give these kids boosters in the next month or just injections in general. And she's over there telling you right now that they're not, there's no evidence these are safe for these kids or that they should get them. I mean, it's in that, under a million. The risk under 19 is, is, over, is, uh, is one in a million. God, it just bothers me so much that these people are allowing this to happen. Or anybody out there is allowing this to happen. Hmm. Now, to finish off, I wanted to fin- I wanted to go over some of this data, specifically from the UK. And I mean, I'm going to show you some of the other ones as well. But we're going to go over some of the data on the UK specifically to start and show you the breakdown and why this is so very important. Let me see if I got all the tabs I need. Oh, shoot. There we go. All right. First, we're going to get into the case by vaccination status. Now, the reason this is so important, guys, is because of this category. Third, they added this in. Third dose. Now, what they also did, which you'll find very interesting, and we'll get into this as we go further on, is they they changed the breakdown from three doses versus not vaccinated or from two doses versus to three, which by the way, continue to show you that they are going to make three doses unvaccinated or not fully injected. That's going to happen at some point, whether it's a week from now, a month from now, it's, I promise you. But if it's two, one or not versus three, and that's, that's in every one of these categories. Why would, I mean, it's interesting. They would remove that from it. And what is that showing? What is that? What data is that hiding from you? And we'll get to it in a minute. It's it's the most relevant data, and you shouldn't be surprised by that. But going back up to this, first off, just glancing at this. Now, somebody reached out to me. I was actually supposed to talk with somebody today that I, I missed. I got too busy. But somebody who's a follower of the show, and I, I respect his opinion, and, and we reached out saying, concerned that I was missing something in this. And I very well could be. That's why I'm always simply saying, I want you guys to think for yourselves, dive into this, you know, compare it. 
My point has always been from, from a generally abstract position that just looking at the general perspective of this, it's, there's no way it adds up with what they're telling you, especially since their stupid narrative has shifted goalposts a thousand times since the beginning. Transmission to reducing symptoms to whatever. It changes every 30 seconds. Right. So the idea that it's just like, right. It's, in the beginning, it was you won't die. You won't go to the hospital. Then it became, well, well, there's some because you'll have some. Well, that's obviously a lie, even if they knew it would be some and they lied to begin with. But the point is now it's become not just a very, very rare situation, but well, yeah, you're going to have the majority because there's the majority, in fact, injected. Well, that does not what they said to begin with. So from that perspective, it's very obvious that the majority of cases, and here's the breakdown, as I'm always doing for you week 51 to week two, the majority of cases, 71%, in fact, are in the injected in a general sense, one, two, or three. 22% are not injected at all. The majority. Now, again, this is where I'm talking about, and this is where the, the individual is referencing, they suggesting that I wasn't necessarily factoring this in, and I believe that I have been. The, the risk per 100,000 is the other part of the argument. So just of cases, I'll show you next that the UK, the other, what they're posting argues that the risk is still higher for unvaccinated, for hospitalizations and deaths, even though Scotland completely challenges that. And so do other places we're going to point to in a minute, such as Australia and New South Wales. But the risk in general of people that are injected is 3,075 per 100,000. The risk for uninjected is 2,475 per 100,000. So a sharp increase. You have a higher risk and the majority is there. So that goes back to the argument they made a moment ago saying that, the, you know, they're lying. They're misrepresenting it. The majority is still, you still have a higher risk of getting sick. Not true. As at least in the UK and Scotland, it's not true. Now there's a 7% of grouping of unlinked cases, which is weird. I don't know why Scotland doesn't have that, but either way, it's 7%. My guess is that's probably involved in the in, injected in some frame and they just don't have the information because unvaxxed is pretty easy to tell. But, oh, and don't forget, as we just referenced a moment ago, remember that just like I thought the other day for Scotland, we just found out the same thing for the UK. They don't know the full portion of unvaccinated, which almost guarantees there's more of them. So that means the numbers you can almost guarantee are going to look better for the unvaccinated when you include all of them. But I don't know why that's not factored in, but interestingly enough, going just to the booster, right? Look, look at the breakdown of the booster just back here, just on cases between 50 week 51 and week two. If the booster shot is supposed to be the miracle that changes everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. The two shots don't work for Omicron, but the third one does it. That's what they're all trying to say right now. Look at the breakdown compared to not vaccinated in every single category after 30 and up, it is higher which is just the majority, I know, not per 100,000, every single category. Higher. Including the most vulnerable, which makes no sense to me, as always, because there are these people over here, these 1,683 over 80s who, who got sick, who aren't vaccinated, are sitting there with nothing. Then you got these people with one, two, and three, over 50,000 of them, all getting sick, despite having all the protection. And then you factor in that the average risk is higher. 29% of all the cases are just in the booster alone. 29 with 30%. There's no way that adds up with what's currently happening. In the UK, there's about 50% of the population that says that has the booster. Now, of course, 
The argument should be that it's rare and it's working. So it should be a fraction of that. Yes, it's lower than 50%. But if you argued 50% is what it should be, that means it's not working. <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense. They're, they're, they have convoluted this conversation so much, it's probably frustrating you guys that I have that I keep talking about it, to be quite honest. I hope that's not the case. I find this information to be very, very, very important and relevant. But then you add it all up, and that's the point. It's more. But going over to hospitalizations, same point. Hospitalizations, you have 15,000 of them. 31% of those hospitalizations were in the un uninjected. 68%, which is up from last report, of those hospitalizations are in the injected, which again shows you just taking that picture, not count factoring in the per 100,000, that that doesn't align with the rare situation they're painting, even if you've got 75% of the population injected. That's my point I keep making, which is where they are. 75%. Look at how close it is to the, ex the accurate number of the percentage. If 75%, if, let's just say 70, 68, round up to 70. For sake of conversation, if 70% of the hospitalizations in general are in the fully injected and 75% of the population is injected, that's not how that's supposed to frame up. If it's super rare, that's the opposite of super rare. Then point out, pointing out the booster, which is supposed to be the savior, 34% of all the, all the hospitalizations are in the booster alone. And the same point when you look at it breaking down here. Look at the numbers. Of just the booster. Look at how much higher it is in the most risk categories. And then adding it up in general. Uh, well, that's that's where you go to here. And watch, I'll wait, I'll go to the bottom and show you those. As I said before, they they their stated points are that it is more risky. But I you can maybe that's true. I just don't think that's even possible based on everything else we're seeing. And I, I've added multiple caveats just off the top of my head to think about. And that can be applied in all sorts of other ways. I mean, we should be we should acknowledge here that there's a lot of subjective reporting happening here. And a lot of people with political, I mean, everybody with political agendas, including the people involved in the ONS and including the people involved in the UK government and UK Health Security Agency, but also on the other side of it too. Like we have to acknowledge that there's some people that would lie about Bayer's reports because they believe it's the truth anyway and on and on and on. There, That's everywhere. So it has to be factored in, not just on one side or the other. Now, going to deaths for 28 days or 60 days. How do you explain that? The booster and the majority of deaths. Here is the deaths. 20, only 26% of the deaths on the uninjected. 73, which again is up almost 3% from last report. Again, shouldn't be going up, should it? If the injections are going down, you shouldn't have that go up, in my opinion. But I mean, wouldn't that, here's the argument again. If that's the argument, if it should go up because they're getting injected, doesn't that argument that it's going to go up to 100%? Right? That eventually all of them will be in there? Well, yes. But they would still argue somehow that that means that it's working. Especially when it which doesn't make sense when you go over other locations like the public health of Scotland and find that the risk is also higher. Of course, what their argument would be is that, well, if you have an entire population, well, there's going to be some that get sick. Now, that's that would be fair right? Or some that die, even if they're all injected. But it's the ratio that I think is important. If it's super rare, as they keep trying to yell at you, then there's no reason it should be that high. But then I still argue, as we'll get into the next one, I think there's manipulation happening here. 32% of the deaths in the boosted alone. Six, after 60 days, it's even worse. 23 uninjected, 76% injected, 32% of the booster alone. 
Now, here's the breakdown. Again, just this, three doses versus one, shows you that they are the ones carrying this. It is a pandemic of the injected. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, even if their risk of hospitalization and death is less, it is still very clearly being driven by what they're doing. Because don't forget, if you believe that this is what's happening, that means they can pass it on to the uninjected just as easy. Because all they're talking about is lowering symptoms. That's it, right? So if if the injections all, it's continuing to spread freely, which creates variants with every pass. So why are we not talking about that? Why hasn't it even been, why are they only concerned about the unvaccinated who aren't sick, potentially getting it to people who are injected, who are supposed to be protected? Why are we even discussing the fact that those that are having it right now with the injection are catching and spreading it? And we're over here with nothing that care about us. Even within their narrative, which suggests that we don't like, we made our choice and you think it's a bad choice, but so you don't care. I mean, really think about what that shows you that because you chose differently, you're a bad person. Now that's what they've already framed even though the data is incorrect. Now here is an interesting addition to this. Unboostered Brits infected and dying at higher rates than unvaccinated. And this just simply backs up exactly what we're talking about. But it shows you the two-dose middle part that they pulled out of the data. Why? Because of this. Now what's funny is they're the ones trying to you know, hurriedly shift over to dose three and say, no, no, don't even look at two. I know we're still arguing two is fully injected, but don't look at it because three is only one that works. Well, if you're saying two is fully injected, then why wouldn't we compare two to one or to none? Well, that's why they removed it. The UK Health Security Agency, in a very dishonest way, removed that data. They've been condemned for months to report incredibly inconvenient vaccine efficacy statistics. And if they bent over backwards trying to make mental gymnastics to make it look the way they want you to, or look, make it look the way that they want it to, how they have struggled. They have composed disclaimer after disclaimer. They filled a whole blog post with special pleading. They've grayed out inconvenient numbers. That's what I mean by squinting in the light and holding it up just right. Like they're like, no, no, no. That I know it looks like that's what you think, but no, that's not how you're allowed to look at it. <laughs> in their latest report, published just this evening, this was yesterday, they've tried something new and bold. They now only calculate case hospitalization and death rates for the unvaccinated and triple vaccinated. The double vaccinated have been banished entirely from table 12. This will make the evil negative efficacy go away, right? Sorry, no. Much uncertainty surrounds the size of the unvaccinated population. And this was my point. We now know that that's the truth too, that they don't know. I promise you that's one of the biggest issues to how they're hiding the information. Pretending the unvaccinated category is less than it is. Somebody out there has got to have access to this stuff and find out whether what they're presenting is less than what they know is there and so on. I promise you there's manipulation happening. It's, I mean, for crying, or crying out loud, it's been happening the entire time. They've been caught in every single facet of this agenda, lying, dis- misrepresenting, at, outright fabricating data everywhere. CDC, the FDA, the government, I mean, for crying out loud. But it says, what is more, these are cases, not true infection statistics, which again is an easy way they could lie with false positives. I mean, we can't forget all this stuff and it's still being applied. But this is after they remove it. Take a look at down here when it includes number two. Isn't that quite a bit different? Look at that. Isn't that just pathetically obvious? So that's three and two. But then the black becomes the the tan down here, and all of a sudden, boom, weird. It's almost like the set, the double injected are dramatically more in danger. <laughs> yeah, because we just showed you the after 90 days, it dramatically goes up, 75% increase, in fact. That proves it right there. Maybe that's why they tried to hide it from you. 
In fact, the UK Health Security Agency have given us a great gift in that they finally provide separate case and severe outcome statistics for the triple vaccinated and the double vaccinated, allowing us to compare rates across all three groups. See, they just don't expect we're smart enough to go back and compare it. They just expect we'll miss that they took it out. They don't do that themselves, of course, but no matter. We can use the raw numbers and rates from last week's report to derive the total number of double and triple vaccinated and the rates in this week's report to derive the triple vaccinated population. A little subtraction then gives us the decent estimate of how many double, but not triple vaccinated people there are in each age bracket. This is a this is plainly a pandemic of the injected. Right? I mean, this, I, I'm not the only one seeing this. And they're pulling from the same reports we are. The double vaccinated death rate is also a problem. Right now, that's, and again, that's what they're pointing at. That's why they're pretending, oh, nope, 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 the risk is more. Because we removed the two. Right now, it is only three versus one. But here's what it looks like when you include it. Take a look at that. The crucial 70 plus demographic is over 90% boosted. And yet they, and the very few double injected in this cohort managed to match or exceed their death numbers. Number two, I mean, look right here, right, these two specifically, 60, 69 and 70, 79. That's staggering. The death rates have the double vaccinated worse than the unvaccinated in the 70 cohort and roughly matching the unvaccinated in 60 to 69. This isn't all that surprising, given that the Public Health of Scotland data has shown across the board negative efficacy for the unboosted for some time now. Yep, because we've been reporting it too. I mean, these are all the graphs you can look at. You guys already know this. We've been breaking it down. It's very, very clear. Now, this is, guys, this is, oh, this is ignoring for the moment the per 100,000 risk, specifically in the UK. But then realize that why, when you see this and, and the per 100 risk, which is higher, in Scotland for every category, realize that the UK has to be misrepresenting this. That's my opinion, but I just don't see how it could be any other way. And here's my point. Again, these are the confirmed deaths. And first of all, just comparing, and this is what the two doses to one, I mean, it's quite obvious. And don't forget, they're still calling that fully injected. So to pretend you're not supposed to compare those two is crazy to me. But of course, the point is that in general, in Scotland, the death is obvious. The reporting, the average is even including the booster, 5.1 per 100,000 versus five in the unvaccinated. Five versus 5.1. It's more. You have a higher risk of dying in Scotland in any injection situation averaged out. The point is two doses. It's right there. It's the same thing that they tried to hide on the UK airport. Eight deaths per 100,000 versus five. 80% of the deaths are in the injected. You have almost a double risk of dying if you've got two doses right now. And then, of course, you, you let's just pretend that you want to use this data, which is incomplete because it's still happening in regard to the three doses, and pretend that it makes it look like it works better. Don't forget everything we just talked about. The fact that after three months, this is going to die, and then you're going to have a 75% increase in the same problem, and that's why you end up with numbers like this, because we have to wait for that to happen. All they're doing is jumping from stone to stone. Again, like I keep saying, before establishing the stone they're on is even there. This risk is very clear. And, and, this, and this data, I mean, they're, it's, they're trying to hide this from you guys. And a point, the point is in general, cases, same thing. Higher risk, majority of numbers. Hospitalizations in, in Scotland, or yeah, in Scotland, higher risk, majority of numbers. 
There's no way to misunderstand that. They're just not talking about it. And this this uh, Eucalyptus uh, medium page or Substack page is seeing it too. And so are a lot of other people. Now, here's another point that we keep making. Here is the continual increase of the thing they say isn't happening. In, in This is specifically Ontario. But remember, we just showed you the person from Ontario blatantly arguing, that, lying to you, that hospitalizations were overwhelmed by the unvaccinated. Fake news. Here it is on January 18th showing you very clearly that the majority the majority of ICU are people with injections, most of those fully injected, or just generally in hospital are 75% of them. But let's go up to the next day. Here's the 19th. Oh, look at that. Goes up a lot. See that? Jumps up there. One day. Now we're well past 50% fully injected in the ICU. That's not rare, not even remotely. Now we're not again. We're not even talking about the per one hundred thousand risk. What we're talking about is how their pay, their politicians are standing up and saying our hospitals are overwhelmed by the uninjected. Not true. It's blatantly a lie when you can see that majority are the in the ICU even, and still seventy five percent not even the ICU. Well, let's go to the next one. It goes even higher. Over three days, it's gone up every single. In fact, it's gone up every day for like the last two weeks. But look at where we are. I mean, it's just so painful to see how obvious this is. The vast majority in the ICU are fully injected, plus another 16 cases of just injected, the minority being uninjected in the ICU, and then well over 75% just in hospital are fully injected and injected. Now, remember, going back down here, just to show you the all-time, we can continue to see that right now in Ontario, there's a dramatically higher risk of getting sick than fully versus two. That, again, challenges what they're saying over there. They're lying to you. Your risk is dramatically higher of getting sick right now if you're injected, period. Now, here's the ones we just showed you the other day. This is the January 2nd report from New South Wales in Australia, which can, and this, they also just lied, saying that the majority of the hospitalizations are in the uninjected. Fake news. You can see, first of all, that the patients, majority in the hospital, are fully injected. It's right there, 67%. ICU even is 50.5. So the majority in any sense is fully injected. Now, again, we're not talking per 1,000. We're just showing that they're lying about what's happening in the hospitals. Then I've also pointed out down here that they're stating, which I, you can take for your own, how you, as you want. I still argue that there's caveats to this that make it makes that there's ways this is being manipulated. I could be wrong. I'm not arguing that just because public health of Scotland challenges this, that it means it's fake. But nobody's explaining why that makes sense. And even when you jump into the actual data from things like this, I didn't go into this today, but I'm trying to break this stuff down for myself. And it's not adding up to me, guys. It's just not. But I'm not a statistician. I'd like somebody out there to really break into this, hopefully, and, and see if you can make sense of that. This, that if these even add up to what they're saying. And then, of course, add the caveat that we just removed two because that's challenging all their narratives. So they're, they're, they're changing things to make it fit what they want, which shows you they're lying. So that's all there. But then the majority, 91% of the population fully injected or over 12. Isn't that supposed to be herd immunity? I guess not. Fake news. But next one, same thing. It goes up 68%. 50.3 goes down a little bit. Same point. Bringing to where we are today. For the podcast, we're on... January 16th, New South Wales goes up to, it goes up even more. As of today, or as of the 16th even, but the most recent report, which is yesterday, came out yesterday, 70% of the population, of the hospital 
admissions are people doubly vaccinated, 70.2%. They're lying about that. This goes up to 50.3 for ICU. The majority of people in the ICU and hospital in general are people that are double vaccinated, if not boosted. So why are they standing up and screaming that it's all the uninjected? Because there's a narrative they're still towing, right? And they do say that the risk is higher on both of them, 92%. Now, just showing you very clearly that the lies of their claims about hospitalization and that it's very clearly, in my opinion, a pandemic of the injected, if they're the ones predominantly spreading this, which even the hospitalizations show, right? Well, here is the report we looked at last week as well from New South Wales. But this one interestingly compares it to other places, and there's some very important information in this one. Let's, this is what I showed you last time. Simply, in a very interesting way, that cases with severe outcome in ICU in general, among all cases and ages, times of infections, specifically from January 1st, 2020, all the way to January 1st, 2022. So two years. Look at the breakdown. This is oh, this one specifically from November 26th, uh, 2021 to January 1st, 2022, which is the most relevant to what we're talking about today, right? Post-Omicron. And I showed you before that under the total, like just removing the 90 plus for now, because that, I mean, that one's important too, because it says zero, by the way, versus 4%. So over 90, you have a dramatically higher risk of every possible severe outcome if you're injected at all. But under total, right, of this time frame, it shows you the same Percentage with a dramatically higher number under fully injected. Now, yes, they're both under 1%, but it's small variance. And the reality being that it's the same overarching risk. So how does that make sense with what they're saying? Well, let's take it further. Here's the new report. What does that one say? Well, let's take a look. Here's the first part. Same report or same you know graph, proportion of cases with a severe outcome up to January 8th now. Now let's look at all of it. This is what I find so fascinating. Now, from start to finish, or specifically we're talking January 16th, January uh, 2021, all the way to G- to January 8th, 2022. See, two doses there versus no dose. Two dose there, no dose. Okay, so this is total again. And what this is saying is proportion of cases with severe outcome amongst all cases and everything throughout that entire time frame. That's why it only represents 4%. But it's right there. Dang it. (laughs) But here's the point. The total, and this is a risk of any severe outcome, death, ICU, all of it. Look at the breakdown. On two doses versus none, it's 2% versus 2%. And what am I missing? That's that, that that's June 16th to November 25th, 2021. That's before Omicron, Delta and whatever else. They're telling you right there that your risk of severe outcome, hospitalization or death is the exact same between two doses and no and one and no dose at all. Now they're going to try to pretend the Omicron the, the new booster, but we already went through how that's not true. And how does that make sense with everything they sold you before this? Because this right here, this category is before Omicron. So how in the world can it be the same risk and then the number being, or excuse me, the the point being simply that the percentage is the same. So what there are in in the point over here is where it flops. That's, I'm just remembering what I, why I highlighted it. So the point being that they're claiming there's more 
severe outcomes in the no doses, but the risk was the same. So what that shows you is that that's what they would make about today. There's less people injected. So the numbers would be flopped that way. And the percentage being the same, but then you roll over here where now you've got much more people injected, but yet it's the same point in the same percentage, but the number is much higher on the two dose side. So what does that ultimately show you? In my opinion, that this is very clearly not even remotely effective in the way that they're claiming. In fact, all it's really doing is increasing your risk. That's my opinion, but that is very clearly backed up by data, including this massive study of 145 countries, but you know, fake news and a million other things we've shown you. But at the very least, it's not 1%, 99%, right? It's not super, super rare versus all the unvaccinated dying. It's at the very least the same. But nobody wants to talk about it in the mainstream, right? Because they're terrified of losing control. They're all wrong. And they know that. They've known it the whole time. At least they, the point is the ones that are being tricked, the ones that aren't in the narrative there, they thought they were right. And they're terrified of this. Here's another part, specifically hospitalizations and ICU admissions and deaths among those diagnosed with COVID-19 by vaccination status from this time frame here, November 26 forward. Well, total cases. I find this interesting as well. Two effective doses versus no dose right there. First of all, oops, total cases, 267,381 versus 3,552 in no dose. Obviously, the case or cases are aggressively slanted towards the people in the, with doses. But check this out. This is really important to me, and this shows you the way they, that you can manipulate with statistics, right? Hospitalized. With two doses, there's 2,627 hospitalizations in that time frame. There's only 315 with no doses, which, of course, compares 8.9 to one, but when you factor in the other percentage, it gets to up to about 4% close, but that's not the main point. It's the next ones, the hospitalizations and ICU and death, which are the most important ones. You can see here that two, uh, two doses, 215 hospitalized in the ICU versus 55 in no doses in the ICU. But check out the percentages. 1.5 percentage of all the cases in no doses versus combining one, the, the booster, the booster one shot, it's the exact same percentage. Right? So if you, if it's 1.5% risk of going to the ICU for, if you've been, have any injections versus 1.5 risk of going to the ICU with no injections, what are we talking about? That's the same. And this is a reasonably large time frame. I mean, we're talking about, uh, so essentially since Omicron, right? Which is what they'll try to use as, but the, the booster's not helping either. Death, same point. 67 deaths in the fully injected versus 21 not in fact injected. But then you've got 0.6, or I mean reasonably close anyway. I mean the point, that the ICU was the main point, but all I'm trying to show you guys is this is not as extreme as they're trying to make it. Where at the very least, if you can have hospitalizations like the exact same and the same thing you're seeing in places like this or in the total numbers or in the public health of Scotland in general, like all this adds together and you can see that there's weirdness going on and how this is being framed. That shouldn't make sense. And neither really, neither should either of these. 
the majority of all the deaths and hospitalizations are clearly on the side of the injected. That never used to make sense, despite the, but now they've just shifted the goalpost. And then we're beginning to see things like this as this continues to pan out, which shows you that even then, it's at least the same. They're running scared from that. Since the start of the pandemic, it says in this report, 0.2% of cases have died. <laughs> Do you realize how stupid this is? What happened to the 3.5% death rate, right? Since the start of the pandemic in New South Wales, only 0.2% of cases have died. Now that factors in 122 people in old care homes. That factors in just generally people who are 70, 80, 90 with comorbidities or any age with comorbidities, right? The reality, guys, is this is what it looks like to lie to you by combining all the numbers and acting like it doesn't change based on your age. And that, that comes to point two. Can you imagine what the actual risk is for the VAT? We, we already know because Oxford Calculator, because even the CDC, weirdly and very convoluted way, actually has those numbers if you can find it on their website. The point is it's below dramatically the flu. Even point two is about the flu. And the point is that that's not, and that's, that's including the people that died in over 80s. You're being lied to if they're still pretending this is the greatest pandemic in a century, which they are. Among case, uh, cases since November 26th, 21.4% of, of, of the deaths were among people who had received no dose. Only 21%. In the week ending January 8th, there were 63 deaths in people diagnosed with COVID-19, including 44 people who had received two doses, 14 people who had received no dose. In every place you look right now, no matter what, it's going to be the majority of deaths in that category, but they're always going to pretend that makes sense because they have more people injected. Even though they swore up and down in the beginning, that would never happen. Remember Biden saying, you're not going to die. You're not going to go to the hospital. That And remember, that was before Omicron that we saw the problem. Just like the original, the way we started. They've already admitted that this wasn't working before Omicron. And multiple other points we've made already So and throughout this. They've already admitted this. Now, finally here on, uh, or actually there's two more parts. COVID-19 cases by vaccination status. And this one shows two doses. Oh, and this is the, uh, this is a similar report. And this was New South Wales by vaccination status. And it shows you two doses versus no dose and the different time frames. Now look at the way this flops. From June 16th to November 25th, 2021, they're claiming that people with two doses only accounted for 9%. And then November 20, November 26th to 2021 to January 2022, they accounted for 71% of it, which is 267,381. I mean, that's an incredible jump. And what's interesting is you go back and look at the other one versus no dose. Look at the difference. 37,000 in that time period, which then shifted to 3,552. So you're telling me that the Omicron variant shifted, mutated, and is now affecting everybody equally, except that's not even remotely what happened because when it, when we shift into the time frame where Omicron was hurting people, the ones with no doses apparently got super protected. And now they're only 1% of the, of the, of the cases. You see what I'm saying? Like that doesn't make any sense. If they're the most vulnerable and you're telling us that that's the majority or that, that the per hundred thousand risk is more obvious. And, but right now we're watching the majority of cases happen there. That breakdown clearly shows you that this doesn't make sense. In any way you compare it. There's so many parts of this that just don't add up. I see emissions and deaths among cases diagnosed with COVID by vaccination status. Two doses versus no dose. Total cases, same point. 
before anyway. This is again, this is the time frame. What it says here is hospitalized. And this is the same point before about combining the percentages. This is the most important one. Now, just so you know, the time frame, this is from January 1st, 2020, all the way to November 25th, 2021. This is pre-Omicron. That's why this is important. Pre-Omicron. Because they keep arguing Omicron changed everything, right? We'll take a look at this. This is just hospitalized. They're claiming 575 people in hospital with two doses, whereas there's 5,117 with no doses. And they're claiming that accounts for 13.5%. But look at what happens when you combine uh, one dose with two doses and add the percentages. Now you've got 17%, right? 17, but even though the number is still lower in total, which is the argument they're making, but but of course it won't, there'll be fake news in reverse, right? Even though the number is, to, is higher, the total percentage of risk is, is 17% versus 13.5 when you compare any injections versus none. That's just hospitalized. Let's go over to hospitalized with the ICU. Same point. They're claiming 1,047 no dose versus 65 two dose. But the 1,047 no dose accounts for 2.8%, whereas you combine these ones, that that comes to more than 2%. It's pretty damn close. So you can see how it's very, very, at the very least, almost the same. But then this one is, is the same. No dose, 415 versus 86 in two doses for death. But that's 1.1% in no doses. Add together, you got 2.4% for people who have a dose or any doses. So what this breaks down to, in case you're confused, is that in New South Wales, from January 2020 to November 25th, which is before Omicron, you had a higher percentage chance of dying if you had any injections in your body versus none. You had a higher percent or relatively equal percentage chance of going to the ICU if you had any injections in your body versus none. And just being hospitalized, you had like a 3% higher chance of going to the hospital for any injections versus none. That's just their data as plain as day. But of course, we'll be censored for making it make sense. But this is why it's a pandemic of the injected. And they're doing everything they can to hide things, alter their reports, to make it look the way they want it to while moving the goalpost every chance they get. But to finish off in a little technocratic shift into where this is going, here's what changed as California's new COVID workplace rules go into effect. This is very interesting to me. January 14th. There's two things that are important in this. One, that they're altering the way that you perceive even people who are injected in regard to being sick. It says, here's the changes included. For testing, first of all, if there's an outbreak at work, employers need to make FDA-approved COVID tests available to exposed employees at no cost during paid time. And now that also goes for vaccinated asymptomatic workers who were exposed. Okay. So let me get this straight. So you're exposed at work and you're vaccinated yet somehow you're immediately asymptomatic. Like how would you already be deemed asymptomatic if you were exposed at work? You'll see what I mean. This goes further because they, they, they even remove the comma. They're saying vaccinated asymptomatic people who were exposed now are treated the same way. So the point being is that you're now asymptomatic by being not sick. 
You see how crazy stupid that is? This is the same as arguing that you're unvaccinated equals sick. You now, you're, now if you're vaccinated, you're just asymptomatic. Hmm. That is not entirely what the, you'll see. What I mean as we go forward, I'm, that's I'm kind of like facetiously making that a little more extreme. It says tests can no longer be self-administered and self-read. Wait a minute. You mean the test that Biden is right now delivering to people's houses? They're now saying, well, in California, you can't do them yourself. That makes no sense, except it does when you understand that they're just trying to hide this. In other words, it says workers can't take a test at home by themselves. It does say workers. Tests that are processed by a lab or observed by a medical professional during a telehealth appointment or administered or observed by medical professionals or an employer are still okay. Weird. So now the tests that are supposed to be self-administered, you can't do by yourself anymore. That's interesting, isn't it? Who gets sent home after exposure? And here's where that gets more clear. Previously, if a fully vaccinated person had close contact with a COVID positive person, but didn't develop symptoms, they didn't need to be sent home from work, right? That's despite them having every chance, like everybody else, and in fact, increased viral load, which means their chance of spreading it is higher than anybody, including the unvaccinated, didn't matter. So there's no scientific, there was just, that was just about rewarding the people for doing what they were supposed to. Under rules passed by Cal OSHA on December 15th, vaccinated asymptomatic people would need would have needed to be sent home from work unless they wore a mask and maintained six feet distance from <laughs> I mean what so that means they've been tested and you're they're told they're sick even though they're fully injected and now they're saying under the new rules they need to be sent home from work so you understand let me finish and I'll make this even more clear because what they're doing is the vaccinated asymptomatic is the, is the point here Updating what counts as a mask. If workers choose, oh, that's where it was. I think I've got the mask thing next. If workers choose to wear a fabric mask rather than a surgical one or medical, the new rules clarify that it needs to be sufficiently thick and tightly woven and not let light pass through. <laughs> yeah, right. Because I mean, this is, this is so ignorant of the reality. I mean, this is them just desperately trying to make it seem like what they've been doing was right this whole time. The ma- right now, the mask thing is falling apart, even though they're still grasping on N95. The cloth mask, whether they're tightly woven or not, childishly they put this out there, is not correct. And they know that. It says now vaccinated asymptomatic people need to be sent home. So what? What? think about how this is being described. You're at work and you're exposed, they say, while at work. Because that's, that's the context of the testing, right? You're getting a test at work. So you're at work, you get exposed, and then and, and you're vaccinated. So then you by default then become a vaccinated asymptomatic person. And so you get sent home because you have, they have to do the test and send you, you see what I'm saying? Like you, how is it asymptomatic if you're vaccinated and you have yet to see what happens? This is how I'm perceiving it. Now, yes, they could be talking about people after that as well, but realize the context of the test and at work and how that works. I simply think they're trying to shift this just even in vaccinated people as simply being all sick all the time, unless you can prove you're not. And you know that that works exactly with the kind of infrastructure they're rolling out right now. Welcome to your new normal, at least in California, it's going everywhere else as well. Now, the mask part specifically, I just want to include this for you guys, because again, this is not just about cloth masks. Here is a new essay. From Vinjay Prasad, MD, masking school kids is based on the lowest level of evidence imaginable. He's right. Observational, expert opinion, lowest level. Random controlled trials, gold standard. Contradicted even by the data from Spain. And they know this. They just pretend that it's not there. It is astonishing that we have done this for two years and run zero random controlled trials. 
that's because they know what it will find because all of them in the past have found the same thing, not statistically significant. History will judge us, judge us poorly. Well, they'll judge the so-called leaders poorly, the cult of masked school children. I, I read this. It's important. There's a lot of good information in there. It, it backs up everything we've been telling you. On top of that, Aaron Siri also points out, as a reminder, face masks used the general public to prevent the viral spread, as they claim, have only been granted emergency use authorization. Now, why is that? If they've been used this whole time for decades to do exactly that, to prevent viral transmission, as they claim, why would they have needed to pass emergency authorization to get use for that purpose? Well, that's confounding, isn't it? <laughs> this is how stupid this all is. It's that obvious. You need to willfully lie to yourself to not see how they're lying to you. The only reason they got emergency authorization for face masks to be used to stop viral spread is because they've never been used to stop viral spread. And emergency authorization, as you know, is not approval, which means they weren't able to prove it because the data was not there, meaning even the FDA has not licensed them as safe and effective. But let's keep going, though, because narrative. Well, here is a definitely heartbreaking video of a, a girl in school who is describing for you what sh watching her life get destroyed because of what they've done and trust me guys they see it this comes as a brilliant bit of happiness to me i don't actually think i can stop smiling when i'm talking it's about time obviously uh, you just said earlier the one that makes me the happiest is the face masks in schools there was zero evidence for those face masks to be in schools there have been studies that show that because of the types of face masks that we, because uh, I'm going to say we, because I was in schools when all of these policies were enacted, the face masks that we would have are not medical grade face masks, therefore they would make no difference to transmission. But what I found out when I was in the classroom, and most commentators have never been able to speak on this because they quite frankly didn't experience it, so you can hear it from me the first. There were teachers that were sitting there that would, you know, be yelling at the poor year sevens about their face masks more than they would be teaching them. Those shy kids that would sit at the back of the class that would never speak, it was a massive barrier to them to impact their learning. They were already terrified, didn't want to speak out, and now they've got an, another barrier to engaging their learning. Communication problems were impossible. I'm going to be honest with you, most of the time when we were in school, we took them off because we couldn't hear each other. They couldn't hear us, we couldn't hear them. You're in schools to learn, and the damage that they have done to my generation has been unbelievable. Like, we sat, I sat there in, in August. The damage what's done? That they've done to the rest of our lives, to our education. I sat there in August and literally watched my future crumble in front of my eyes. Because Tell me why. What, well, they cancelled my exams. So I got my exams cancelled once, went back and thought, no, you know what, this is not on. I'm not getting screwed over by the algorithm. I'm better than this. Got there, they cancelled them again, and I thought... Nothing I can do anymore. So I, this makes me so angry. It literally ruined our lives. And nobody, spo nobody spoke about it at all. And the commentators, they had union reps come on and say, this is what the school should have put in place. And they didn't care about what this did to us. And this is the first time I've ever spoken about it on TV because I knew that I'd cry about it, but... I literally watched and felt like my entire life was falling apart because of what this government did to young people and nobody cares. Not one person has cared about children in this pandemic. They think, oh, let's throw... Why are we putting masks on them when people can go to football stadiums and they can go to theatres and play Nadim Zahawi sitting there at the teaching awards with no masks and yet we're disrespecting kids? This pandemic will finish. The damage this has done for artists forever and we'll never get it back. 
God, it's hard. It's just hard to watch because she's 100% right. And that's what we were telling you from the beginning. We will never get it back, right? Just like RFK Jr. would tell you. you, ne- you no point in history has a government given back what they've taken from you. There's no amount of acquiescing that can get you out of totalitarianism. It is driving you forward. And it's, it's disgusting what she's saying. And she's right. There's people going to football games and whatever else. And Boris Johnson, everyone's going to their own parties and they're doing their own things and they're hugging each other and no one cares. And yet you're forcing this on the children and destroying their understanding of everything. The way that they learn. The way, I mean, you are ruining. And I think it's generally intentional. It's just, it's just so sad. Now the government's launching sites for free COVID testing, right? We already saw this come out and this is in regard to their new changes. And now they're going to be forcing these testings, right? This is just another sidestep. Like you should not have to do this. You should not have to take these tests in order to live in a world that, I mean, whether that's, va- I mean, understand that the, the, the what I mean, a sidestep is like the test instead of the vaccine passport or the natural immunity proof other than the vaccine passport. It's the same thing. And don't forget that those antigen tests that they're now sending out to everybody also have a high rate of false positives. I reported this back in the 2020 before they were being used. And here we are. This is shifting into another thing that can be abused. It's the same point. Now, Star sent me some really interesting information that I wanted to share. As they send these things out to you, you won't be surprised at how it's meant to tap you into exactly where this is all going. Here is your self-test at home results in 15 minutes, which they undermine in every possible way, which is emergency authorized with a FDA check. What is that? Check. It's been emergency authorized. (laughs) That's ridiculous. That's what you're supposed to do when it's been approved. Emergency authorization is completely off the, I mean, I keep telling you this, go to the FDA website and look at what they define as emergency authorized. It says it, I've done it a thousand times. It says very clearly, let me see if I can just pull it up real quick, if I can grab it. Maybe that? No, but oh well. I, I, you guys have seen me talk about it before. In the point that it says right on the FDA website that emergency authorization implies inherently that we don't know all the information. It in, implies in the words, the name itself, emergency use authorization, or not literally words, but in the, what that implies is that they only know some of the benefits and they only know some of the risks, but they realize that the benefits they do know outweigh the risks that they do. Right. And so that means they don't know some of the risks inherently. And yet here it is in the box. Check. (laughs) We don't know everything. Check. (laughs) It's just so stupid. But here's the point. Eye health. Look at that. Weird. It's almost like it's meant to tap into your iPhone. Well, guess what? It is. And this is what's crazy about this is this is built this way. They're trying to draw you into this new Unihealth online nanoparticle platform, new technocratic great reset future. Just just getting you in the door with stuff like this. Scan the QR code to download the iHealth COVID-19 at your test app on your smartphone. Please don't do that. Don't be that stupid. I mean, it's just so obvious where this is all going. But this is the idea. You get tapped into it. Information on your phone. Who knows what it then does and accesses on your phone. The Q, QR code and everything can be accessed anyway. And this is We've talked about all this before. Saying, oh, oh, look at that. Download an Apple store. Get on Google Play. What, we're talking about a antigen test here. <laughs> what is going on? Following the instructions on the video that you can download and smartphone credential. I mean, this is very, very strange. Compatible with your smartphone. Check this out. The health 
iHealth COVID antigen test is intended for the qualitative detection of SARS-CoV-2 protein antigen in, in, in uh, nasal swabs. It says if you have symptoms of COVID, you can use a single test. Okay. If you don't have symptoms, you'll need at least two <laughs> per person. And you need to purchase additional tests to perform serial repeat testing. What? So if you have symptoms, you can use one. But if you don't, which probably means you're not sick at all, keep testing until you get a positive. That's what that says if you read between the lines. And the same thing said on PCR testing. <laughs> so if you don't have symptoms at all, so you're totally fine. You may think maybe I got close to somebody. You may It says then you'll need two for sure. Well, that clearly implies you're going to need more than one test. But then it says you may need to purchase more to perform serial testing. So tell me if I'm crazy. That means repeat, 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 and you will eventually get a false positive. And then, oh, oh, stop, you're sick, you're sick, stop there. This test is more likely to give you a false negative. Basically, that's it. (laughs) It's just, just like the other one. No, 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 false negatives everywhere, but no positives, though. Pretty sure it goes both ways, guys. I mean, it's so stupid that this makes sense to them. But then it's just, just aid in diagnosis. So basically, if you get it says you're sick, go get a PCR test is what or whatever they're going to tell you to do next. This test does not determine if you have past immunity. And then, of course, the main part of it. Where was it? Oh, wait, I thought that was on this part of it. Uh, the emergency use authorization. Oh, don't forget this, though. Oh, look at that. Made in China. Isn't that strange? And before you jump on the the Democrats and Biden, remember that Trump did it too. Trump was working with it the same way. Trump was using all the tests from there. Trump was using the the genetic sequence to make the original vaccine. That all happened under Trump's watch. Don't forget that. That was what happened. That's where that all began. And Trump was championing. He was involved in every step of that vaccine production. That was Moderna at the time, which was tied aggressively in with Monsef Salawi, who was leading his charge on an Operation Warp Speed. All this was very clear. The point is they were all, all of them have been working alongside China, even though they're going, China, we're stupid if we can't see how obviously this is all tied in together. And this is strange to me. There's two COVID test cards, two swabs, two pre-filled tubes with what? Pre-filled with what? I guess they're sealed solutions. Like, I, I mean, maybe I don't fully understand what this test is supposed to do. But I mean, I, I know you're supposed to swab and then I guess put it in the, the solution. I don't know. This is just a very strange. I'm just, I, that's not anything important. I just thought that was interesting. And why too? But again, you know, that's the point. <laughs> this is where it's all going. That is your future. And they're all driving there as fast as possible. And then I, I'm going to play this clip for you, which is probably going to blow some people's minds. I was going to start with this, but... I felt like it made more sense to finish because it might scare some people away. But this, guys, is really where you're going, where they're driving you. And this was before COVID-19. And this is somebody who is sort of outspoken about how we need to be concerned about where this is going. So I wouldn't really take this video as something suggesting that he believes this is the right step. But I'm not, I, don't, I, kinda, I, I feel like he's on the fence where this is good and bad at the same time, but we should be cautious. Either way, this is where it's always been going. The removal of free will, as he says, is already gone. You just haven't realized it yet. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the, the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they, they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election 
or whether in the supermarket this is my free will, that's over. Free will, that's over. That's over. Over. Today, we have the technology to hack human beings on a massive scale. Yeah, I mean, everything is being digitalized. Everything is being monitored. In this time of crisis, you have to follow science. It's often said that you should never allow a good crisis to go to waste because a crisis is an opportunity to also do good reforms that in normal times people will never agree to. But in a crisis, you see we have no chance. So, 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 so let's do it. vaccine won't help us go the to the test, The vaccine will help <laughs> us, of course. It will make things you know, more manageable. Surveillance, people could look back in 100 years and identify the coronavirus epidemic as the moment when a new regime of surveillance took over, especially surveillance under the skin, which I think is maybe the most important development of the 21st century, is this ability to hack human beings, to go under the skin, collect biometric data, analyze it, and understand people better than they understand themselves. This I believe, is maybe the most important event of the 21st century. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. Natural selection is replaced by intelligent design. The era of inorganic life is now beginning. In the coming decades, AI and biotechnology will give us godlike abilities to re-engineer life, and even to create completely new life forms. We are about to enter a new era of inorganic life shaped by intelligent design. Our intelligent design. Sorry, I always forget that I have those. I set those up for openings and I use them. But it's it's that's the reality, right? This is who's designing this, right? The idea that it's inherently good just because it's a direction that we've decided is good is childish. Right. It really is naive because historically speaking, that's rarely the case. Right. The people that are powerful, the people that are, uh, you know, abusing the people beneath them are tend to be the ones that write the history and they write it in their favor. Right. Right now we're watching this happen and they're the ones choosing what direction it's going to go in and framing it as a positive. Right. His name is Yuval Noah Harari. His books also examine the possible consequences of a futuristic bio, biotechnological or uh, biotechnological world in which intelligent biological organisms are surpassed by their own creations. He has said Homo sapiens, as we know them, will disappear in a century or so. Now, it, Whitney's t- t- touched on this guy in the past before, and there's concerns here, like whether or not the, you know. But just based on his work, it seems to suggest that there's a concern, but maybe that's a couch, you know, kind of hidden behind. The, you know, it's obviously being discussed as a positive in some ways. And this is an alarming reality. This has been discussed long before we got here. What he's telling you is happening right now in the context of coronavirus, and he sees it. It's about the it's it's the fact that the people in charge are lying to you about what you're looking at. And as I said in the tweet, this is what it's all about. They have been telling you for years if you've truly been listening. Now, here's another clip that I wanted to share that somebody shared after I posted this video. Oh, and by the way, I mean, check a look at the engagement on this. You know, people people are super interested in this information because nobody's talking about this out in the mainstream, for that matter, for as in the mainstream. Now, this is about designer medicine, right? This is an important clip, and this is actually really crazy. Uh, let me see if this is loud enough. No, it's not. I got the video right here. We're talking about designer medicine. 
and how that can be used in the future that you're currently in. This is in 2018. This was being discussed. It's very, very relevant to where we are right now. Twenty-five, thirteen. Okay. Let's take a listen. The uh, 18 gigahertz microwave uh, detectors where we could pick up heartbeats through anything but solid steel and water, but that could easily be a human who can see the unique heartbeat that's behind the wall over there that's thermal and sensitive. So this is... Dr. Charles Morgan on psycho neurobiology and war, June 14th, 2018. So it doesn't have to be IR. Uh, it can be a number of things. Anything that you can co-opt is theoretically now possible to adapt to human brain functioning. All you'd have to learn is the code. You'd have to train with it. It might not be natural at first. You might not understand the signal you're getting, uh, but you can add to human brain function. You can also use it to intercept signals. Uh, the experiment that was just released this last month, uh, as I said, demonstrated that people could transfer knowledge from one human to another. And I, I commented to uh, a couple of my colleagues, and I said, I think right now the most direct application of that is going to be either covert communication or running drones. Now look at what he's showing you right there. Sending information from one person to another? Look at what that's, that's saying, engineered bacteria. How interesting is that? Genome with a yeast vector, transformation, bacterial genome cloned in yeast, isolation, transportation. I mean, look, the very least, you could argue that engineered bacteria. I mean, how is that not relevant to where we are right now? The set of experiments, I didn't have videos to show you, um, but there have been a series that have shown you can connect the human brain to a rat and control its motor movement and its tail. So you can have non-human animal drones. Think about how crazy that is. Talking about the brain-machine interface, like all this is connected with where they're driving right now. And don't forget that they need to really understand and map the human brain to be able to make this stuff work properly. So I've always been concerned about whether that's what they're doing right now. Whether you want to talk about nanobots or graphene or whatever else you want to talk about. The idea that this was being mass-pushed and the fact that they, who wants to explain why they were jamming this up to the blood-brain barrier for all these early people and they never explained why. I mean, there's all these weird things here. They've struggled for a long time to reach things like the singularity or in regard to just understanding the human brain. And this is clearly, I mean, look, Ferrari's telling you that's where they were going. So now we're at a point in 2018, he's talking about this kind of invasive bacteria engineering to find these things out. Could that be part of what's happening? Could there be something in this that is literally meshing or mapping the human brain or how the body works? I mean, these are crazy thoughts in the mainstream, but look at him, look at them discussing this stuff years ago. It's a very valid question to ask whether or not we are currently being experimented on ways far grander than we realize. You can have the human brain probably run a regular drone at this point, but uh, running a non-human drone, something like a cockroach or a rat, would it be awesome? And now the, if you were watching the Olympics and you see the coordinated maze of drones, the software is now really readily available where you could, uh, you could have hordes of little creatures that can gain access to facilities. Um, or, or move around in different places, all run by a person sitting in a booth. Um, it wouldn't be, it's no more technically challenging once you do that than figuring out the logistics of how you're going to send your signal somewhere else in the world and how to protect that signal. But um, that's, that's now. That's not um, in the future. So as you begin to think what's in five years, the interfaces are going to become um, more delicate, 
more refined. And as transcranial magnetic stimulation, it's a rather crude instrument right now. It creates a field that excites just hordes of neurons. But as they, as they um, refine the technology so you can get a better point specificity to the neurons you actually want to activate, you should be able to do this without penetrating the skull. Um, either someone could wear a cap. And in fact, that's how the latest brain-to-brain communication in humans was done. It was done without surgery and uh, actually signaling uh, via some stimulation to the retina and the brain decoding it. Although the person consciously didn't know what the code was, the brain did. Now, what's interesting is where do you think that puts us? 2018, this is being discussed, right? We're in year five, essentially, right now. So think about, he's talking about way back then, four years ago, right? And about five years, you know, that's where we are. So what he's talking about is current. And by the way, I promise what he's actually talking about is probably light years behind where they actually are at that time, as I've made clear many different reports, but we're there now. So why aren't the, I mean, these conversations are, are tinfoil hat, like ridiculous black helicopter, fake crazy conspiracy, like in any general mainstream circle. Right, even a lot of the quasi-independent progressives out there, you can't you can't even touch on topics like this. Oh, here we go, nine eleven. You know, like fighting against the bad guys. Except any moment of conspiracy theory scares them into the corner. It's just it's feeble, really is. But we're there now, and I think we need to ask ourselves whether this stuff is being used right now. Um, so that I would recommend people becoming aware of that uh, from the human drone technology standpoint. The second field uh, that people may or may not be aware of in. Uh, I always tell my students, I said I wasn't around when they developed uh, atomic weapons, but um, Dr. Ventner's work is, my my view, the equivalent of the development of nuclear weapons when you realize uh, wow. that he created life in a cell. Wow, that's a crazy thing to say. You realize after they invented the, the specifically, uh, oh, I forget now what he said. Now I forget the guy's name too. You know, they basically, I, I am the destroyer of worlds or whatever, I forget the quote. Basically, historically speaking, people involved with it regretted it. It was a bad thing to do. And the people that are in power obviously didn't care about and used it the bad way, right? People that did that were hoping to do it as a deterrent and it was used by bad people, right? So this is an equivalent in his mind to the development of the atomic weapon. Back in 2010, I don't know if people are familiar with his work, but this technology paired with something called CRISPR, which is like an editing software for genes, makes a number of things immediately available. What he did is he programmed yeast cells to produce anything he wanted. They can produce perfume. They can produce petroleum. They can produce any peptide, anything we program the DNA to do. Anything? Well, gee, that seems kind of interesting. Like, I, I could list off about 45 things that the government would be desperate to put in your body. And so here we are with a situation where maybe that's exactly what's happening. Or maybe they failed at it. Maybe they didn't. It's weird. Very possible at the very least. And it's in the living cell. Right, so in medicine, the goal in medicine now is to be able to do uh, designer medicine and therapy. If we can design a cell to get into your body and release the right product for you, you won't be losing half the drugs you take through your liver when you swallow a pill and it gets digested. These can be inserted into you through the hypospray uh, needles, almost like Dr. McCoy on Star Trek giving you the hyperspray. It just blasts now plasmids into your squamous cells. But uh, Ventner was able to do that and has the patent on the technology. But you can engineer anything. You can engineer a unique thing that would only kill one person in the world. A unique thing that would only kill one person in the world. Or how about a unique thing that only kills very specific people in the world? It's how it's done. 
You put in a specific gene slicing. You program what you like. You put it in the cell, and it can reproduce and make as much as you like. For those of you who don't know, your DNA is usually all wrapped up in tight little coils. And so what you were doing was when they create plasmids and put them into cells, it sends a signal and tells which portion of the DNA should unwrap, unfold, and produce a product. Huh. This is the future of medicine. Uh, when you look at this technology in medicine and say, this is going to be done to help people, right? We want to be able to give them medicine. Yeah, well, that, that's the assumption, isn't it? Well, don't forget this clip that I play all the time when we start the show. I mean, this, I mean, this is 2018, right? Here is during the COVID-19 crisis, or rather, I guess, in the beginning. And here is what you can see a Pfizer scientist in this clip. He's describing exactly what this person is describing. And this, this was before. Now they wouldn't want you to hear this. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. Right. And this is where we get to the universal injection, right? So they apparently they've been packing your cells this whole time to try to make them drug factories so they can give you something that produces what they want it to produce or however it works for them. The bottom line is this is already happening and we are pretending like we're doing something for COVID and we are being lied to. That's what I think. I think it's quite obvious. Uh, oh, to which clip? Uh, the clip you're watching, all this stuff will be in the show notes, this clip included. I was just reading the chat, but it's very clear that this is something that is happening. I don't necessarily mean in injections during right now because of this one thing, but they've been driving at this forever. If you think this isn't actually happening right now, then you're not paying attention. Here's Bloomberg. Elon Musk brain implant company Neuralink is now hiring a clinical trial director. An indication that the company's longstanding goal of implanting chips in human brains is coming closer. Right. So it's already about to happen. They're already starting a trial. And here's the funniest part about all the all the lonesome souls lost in the two-party illusion. Anybody that has two brain cells to rub together can stand back and be like, I don't care whether it's left or right or green or black or whatever you're talking about. If you're talking about a neural link, whether you're Elon Musk or Klaus Schwab, I'm going to be like, that's crazy and hell no, <laughs> right? That is not where we want to go right now because of how obviously this is tapped into the world they're trying to build that controls everything in your life. But here's what the two-party paradigm gives them. This person who's clearly on, I guess, the, I think the left, maybe. I don't know, but that's, this is where it's coming from. Anti-vaxxers did not want to get vaccinated because they were afraid of chip implanted with Maxine by Bill Gates. Right. This is the equivalent of Hillary Clinton in a pizza basement with children. Right. Whereas there's some level of truth to it. It's in a stupidly reduced narrative to make it seem like it's childish and dumb. Whereas the reality is, obviously, Bill Gates has been aggressively tied in with his agenda in a thousand different ways. Obviously, there's been very in-your-face Johns Hopkins and other massive outlets and groups driving it, making chip implants, whether through vaccine or implant or whatever else, right up until 2020. But let's call it fake news because it's inconvenient for you. Or just rely, pretend that anybody anywhere that doesn't like where this is is somehow now scared of chip implanted vaccine because Bill Gates. And you're going, are they going to be okay because Musk does it? Ha, 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 ha. Oh, you're so smart. 359 people. You see how dumb this is? I, arguing that it's only because Gates bad and implant, but we love implants if Musk does it. These people are so damn lost and they're so convinced that anybody that disagrees with them are on the other side that they miss everything. It's so frustrating to me, but that's the problem with the two-party illusion. Here's one more thing to last it out there. Another fake news story. 
even though it's very obvious and openly happening. U.S. Federal Reserve opens debate over possible digital dollar. Gee, let's open this new conversation that we've been having for 20 years. It's just so funny. Like this is when they want you to start knowing it's happening, right? But at the point, as I said, there it is. Another conspiracy theory becomes conspiracy fact. Build back better technocracy. The digital currency discussion has been on the table forever. And we've been dismissed and say, oh, they're you know collapsing the dollar. You guys are conspiracy theorists. Check out my interview with Cass and Fitz. Great information. Finally, World Economic Forum's great narrative conference. Oh, I just realized that I should grab this too. A great article from Derek Bros about this specific discussion. Which now that I'm thinking about it, it's kind of funny that this discussion of the great narrative was actually called fake news by people that thought it was we were making it up. There's no such thing as the great narrative, you fake news. Right, even though it's literally it's exactly it's actually on the podium. I'll show you in this next post if this decides to load for me in the next twenty years. Well, as we wait for that, this is the World Economic Forum's Great Narrative Conference which again, it's right there. <laughs> this is an open discussion called the great narrative. And there were literally people that pretended like we made that up. It says the good news is the elite across the world trust each other more and more. The bad news is that the majority of people trusted that elite less. I've never actually seen them address themselves as the elite. Isn't that interesting? Like the idea of an elite is supposed to be a conspiracy theory in and of itself. Well, here's part two. Here, actually, I was going to grab this one so you can start with the first one. The great narrative, the first one, because he shows it right here. Oh, I guess not. Oh, that was my interview. Sorry, guys. There it is. The great narrative meeting 2021. I'll include this one. It's got the link to part two in there. Great, great series in here. But let's listen to what she has to say. Just so you can hear her say it. Literally, that's what she saying. It's weird that they don't trust the elites. They don't trust us anymore. Maybe because we're beginning to pay attention. The fact that she's so confused about why we don't just do what they tell us to do is exactly the point. A few years ago, you know, the Edelman survey showed us that the good news is the elite across the world trust each other more and more. The elitists is what we should be calling them. So we can come together and design and do beautiful things together. <laughs> the bad news is that in every single country they were polling... The majority of people trusted that elite less. So we can lead, but... But we won't follow is exactly the point. And so what does that mean, right? So you have to understand the implication. So it's not that, oh, well, we have to do what they want because we're they're in charge and they, they're the constituents and we have to... No, the point is, well, they're not following, so we need to make them follow us because we know best. This is an international technocratic elitist group that is making decisions for the world despite what you want. That's not a conspiracy theory. It's right on the surface of what they're doing. Just because they claim they're doing it for good reasons doesn't, doesn't change what it is. Why do they get to make these decisions? The idea that people don't trust them, and she just told you that. The world does not trust what they're doing, but it's going to happen anyway. So all they're discussing is how do we get them to do, go along or how do we force them to go along? Now, to finish up, I want to end with a clip that is really relevant to what you're seeing here that you've seen before. Long show, three and a half hours. Sorry, sorry, Doom. It's not going to be six probably ever. I don't know if I can last that long anymore, but the point is there's so much information to get in here. There's just so much information, and there was things today that I pushed off. 
But hopefully more people will continue to spread this and continue to make their own shows based on the stuff that we're presenting here. Because some of the stuff at the end there, including that percentage breakdown where it's the same percentage, like these things need to be seen. I'm not even joking where I'm telling you, you're going to see some, some, something, one of these big parts are you're in a couple months or whenever they're allowed to talk about it, you're going to see the Tuckers and the Glenn Becks of the world start screaming about how they just discovered this new thing and it's going to be breaking news. And the problem is that that usually doesn't end up in the truth. They usually use the truth way after it's already been there to drive you back into something that's not where you should be. That's why people, it's not about credit guys. It's about getting it in front of people and keeping them in the continuity of where it's supposed to go. From point to point to point, not point back into the narrative. That's what they keep doing. But I'm going to leave you with this clip that shows you that this has always been a plan. And this is something that's been driven to, I mean, for, for a, I mean, it's going to say a century, but I mean, you could argue that in a certain way, but I mean, for decades and decades, this has been something they've been building toward. And right now you are the point. As Whitney said, your body's the new battlefield. They're using you in every possible way while pretending they're fighting for you. Can't get more sinister than that. Thank you for being here, guys. I'll do my best to get this information up as quick as possible. I believe I can get most. I think I actually the links will be up tonight. So thank you for being here. I will see you soon. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the... the Sorry, wrong one. Make sure I get this one. This is important. Here we go. All right, enjoy this. Watch to the end. This is actually really important. Stay vigilant. Today, the job of building this nation geographically is completed. There are no new frontiers within our borders. So, to what new horizons can we look now? Where are tomorrow's opportunities? What's ahead for you, for your children? The frontiers of the future are not on any map. They are in the test tubes and laboratories of the great industries. The Jacobardi case was one of the great judicial moments in world history. And the public was totally unaware it was actually happening as the process was being engaged. General Electric and Professor Jacobardi went to the patent office with a little microbe that eats up oil spills. They said they had modified this microbe in the laboratory and therefore it was an invention. The patent office, the U.S. government, took a look at this, quote, invention, and they said, no way. The patent statutes don't cover living things. This is not an invention. Turned down. Then General Electric and Dr. Jacobardi appealed to the U.S. Customs Court of Appeal. And to everyone's surprise, by a three to two decision, they overrode the patent office. They said this microbe looks more like a detergent or a reagent than a horse or a honeybee. I laughed because they didn't understand basic biology. It looked like a chemical to them. Had it had an antenna or eyes or wings or legs, it would never have crossed their table and been patented. Then the patent office appealed. And what the public should realize now is the patent office was very clear that you can't patent life. My organization provided the main amicus curiae brief if you allow the patent on this microbe, we argue, it means that without any congressional guidance or public discussion, corporations will own the blueprints of life. When they made the decision, we lost by five to four, and Chief Justice Warren Burger said, sure, some of these are big issues, but we think this is a small decision. 
Seven years later, the U.S. Patent Office issued a one-sentence decree. You can patent anything in the world that's alive except a full-birth human being. We've all been hearing about the announcement that we have mapped the human genome. But what the public doesn't know is now there's a great race by genomic companies and biotech companies and life science companies to find the treasure in the map. The treasure are the individual genes that make up the blueprint of the human race. Every time they capture a gene and isolate it, these biotech companies claim it as intellectual property. The breast cancer gene, the cystic fibrosis gene, it goes on and on and on. If this goes unchallenged in the world community, within less than 10 years, a handful of global companies will own directly or through license the actual genes that make up the evolution of our species. And they're now beginning to patent the genomes of every other creature on this planet. In the age of biology, the politics is going to sort out between those who believe life first has intrinsic value and therefore we should choose technologies and commercial venues that honor the intrinsic value. And then we're gonna have people who believe, look, life is simple utility. It's commercial fair, and they will line up with the idea to let the marketplace be the ultimate arbiter of all of the age of biology. <laughs>